First Smoke of the Day family, special episode today. Pacific Northwest Roots Kaya. In my opinion, one of the best hash makers. I talk about the first time I got his hash and what it did to me. It's a funny story. We also get into growing up in Washington, what it's like being in the rich culture of cannabis up there, hash maker supreme. We talk about what it is to breed cannabis and also breed for hash making strains. We get deep into it. Trust me, hash makers, growers, anyone interested in even smoking hash or interested in flowers, what it is to breed, this one's for you. If you wanna get hooked up, fsotd.com. We have all our affiliates. We have discount codes for all of them. Grow Generation, Drip Hydro, and Dr. Dabber. Trust me, if you like an electronic dabbing device, if you like smoking hash, drdabber.com. We have the discount code on fsotd.com. Get hooked up directly to them. Grow Generation, grow stores nationwide online or in store you get hooked up with fsotd.com all you got to do is go to the sponsors page and get the discount code we change it monthly so that's why i tell you to go to the site last one drip hydro if you're a grower and you haven't been happy with the way your flowers smell you're not happy with the way they taste or you're not happy with the way they look or yield Drip Hydro. We connect you directly to them and we get you a discount. All you gotta do is go to fsotd.com. Trust me, the hash we're smoking, that's why I'm stuttering. Trust me, you wanna check this one out. So I was a big high school athlete. You know, we were state champions. I was MVP on the football team, but I had head injuries. I got knocked out. So now I'm in college, my freshman year, third or fourth psychotropic drug trying to you know, regulate my brain. The neighbors invite me over to get me stoned and I get real stoned for the first time. I never look back. <laughs> my name is actually Bradley Paul. Ross is like a title. Ross meaning prince, king. It refers to my Rastafarian beliefs. Kaya was kind of a nickname, you know, the herbs, the ganja. So that was kind of a nickname that my friends gave me because I always had the good sacrament. The herb is a sacrament. You know, this is this is a, a truly a gift. Anybody that's that's interested to learn more, dig in deep. We encourage folks that get our seeds to actually breed with them. Yeah, I get a little emotional about it because uh, it, it means it means everything to me. First Smoke family, we have a huge episode today, something I've been looking forward to for eight months, Pacific Northwest Roots Kaya. And I want to tell you a little story. The first time I had this guy's hash, coffee, six, seven years ago, Emerald Cup, I see a cart pulling up that looks like an ice cream cart. And this dude, dreaded up with his hat on, cruising around, selling hash out of an ice cream cart, all branded out with a dab rig attached yeah yeah <laughs> i go to buy this hash i'm super excited i've heard of it i've been hearing about coffee i saw the breeding project it's what you were originally known for roger and then i get this sample i guess i think i maybe bought a couple grams i get it home i'm going through all the different stuff i'm checking it out i'm smoking it and i get to this coffee hash i take a dab of it and within five minutes i'm knocking things over <laughs> i'm like 
giggling about nothing. I'm literally looking at myself. I'm like, holy shit, look how red my eyes are. I was first time high. I literally <laughs> got on DM and I was like, hey, brother, this is insane. I've I've smoked hash all over the world. We've been to Spain. We've been to this is next level hash. This is the first time you've ever experienced hash level like mind blowing. And that was my introduction to Pacific Northwest Roots Kaya. <laughs> Getting lifted off that Dude. Kaya's coffee. <laughs> It was mind expanding. It was like the, the colors were brighter in the room. The like, I mean, it was literally, I was like, I don't think I've been like this in a decade. <laughs> it's power. It's Bruh. got, it's got narcotic strength, you know? Um, and that, that terpene profile is, it's kind of like really special in its unique. effects. Yeah. It's a unique one. Yeah. Anyone who's had, it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's in its own lane category. How did you find coffee? Well, what is that? So I actually made coffee um, and I was inspired to do so. Um, I went to college in the mid nineties up near the Canadian border and I had these connects and um, one of the connects would bring us this stuff they called Afghani hash plant, some biker guys. And it was top three all time. It was just like real good Afghani tasted like caramel when you smoked it and just got you like high you know, and not, not like a head high, but like a really good body stone, you know, it relaxed my shoulders. Um, and so at some point we lose that connect in the, in the mid nineties and, um, I'm growing years later and I've, I've collected a couple different cuts of this and that, and I start breeding and I kind of had the idea of like, you know, maybe I can recreate these strains. I've been looking for them. I can't find the Pez anymore. I can't find the Northern Lights I used to have. Um, maybe I'll try to recreate. And I had picked up, at that time, like the the big dog in the in the seed game was obsolete. And uh, Ob's for president. Um, <laughs> and and Ob's had, had brought back some genetics that were they called alien technology. And um, OG Rascal, shout out OG Rascal LA, um, had put out some Alien Kush F2s. And the guy who was mentoring me at the time, Lemon Hoko, um, bought these F2 pack at an auction. At the time, it was the most expensive seed pack ever bought at auction. It was like $1,500 for a 10 pack. And um, Mel popped those seeds, kept a bunch of the girls, picked out a male. And um, when he pulled me into the breeding game, which is a whole nother story, um, he shared that mail with me. And so I put it against, um, in my first breeding project, I put it against all of my elite clones that I had collected. And um, I had like nine of them that I really liked. And I had a 10th one and it wasn't my favorite, but at the time it had scored the highest test here in California. It was called Alien OG. And I believe that was a swerve from Cali Connect that made that one. Um, so the, the Alien Kush is that Las Vegas purple Kush times alien tech. And then the alien OG was Tahoe times alien tech. So um, I had both of these in my possession and I had females of both. And I had a male of the alien Kush didn't really like either of the females, but um, I wanted to breed them together because I thought I could find something recessive in there. And you know, me looking for that Afghani and knowing that the tech is in both sides, I'm like, okay, I think I can maybe find it in here. My mentor is like spurring me on. So I do this big test crop. <clears throat> I had 10 females, 10 lights, 10 females of each strain and um, a bunch of keepers from all the other ones. But that, that initial cross um, of those 10, they were all beautiful. The one when I cut it down though, this smell came off and it 
immediately transported me back to college and that Afghan hash plant that I used to get from the biker dudes. Um, and I was like, holy shit, this is it. You know, like put it away, store it up. Like the whole house is reeking of it. And um, I, I kept 16 keepers from those hundred plants and I tried to reveg them. The only one that I had prayed over and the only one that actually revegged was that coffee. Wow. Um, so I got blessed. We, you know, re-ran it, got it, got it back into shape. And, um, you know, the rest is history, so to speak. So I can't believe that it kind of came, got me that same terp, you know, and, and you got to experience it. So, you know, it's like, once you've had that, it's like, oh shit, this is, you know, it's like smoking OG yeah. the first time. And um, yeah, it's, it's a special one. It's so potent and psychedelic and it awakening. I mean, it, it knocked all my receptors on. I, I've had so much hash. And when I hit that one, I was like, whoa, what is this? This is something completely different. And it's cool because it goes with your whole brand and it's, it, that ties into your life. And that's kind of where I want to go with this is like, you're such a staple in the industry. You've been around so long. How did you get there and where'd you grow up? Oh, yeah. And I take that very seriously. I really do. And I try to treat it with the utmost respect. And that's, I think, the way that I've been able to carry it. Mm. So I grew up out on the Kitsap Peninsula out in Washington State, um, which is you know kind of out past Seattle. You got to catch the ferry boat out. And uh, there was five boys in my family. And uh, my dad was a vet and he was retired early and he hunted, like subsistence hunted, um, and raised fighting chickens and was like a world-renowned game fowl breeder. People would come from all over the world to buy the birds. That's kind of how he supported us. And um, so it was a really different kind of upbringing than most people, you know, and I learned to like keep my mouth shut, don't talk about these things at school. And, uh, you know, my dad always had a big roll of cash on him. And, you know, so when I got to be a little older and got into the game, it was like I already kind of had the basis for how to operate a little bit. Um, I really wasn't into herbs growing up. You know, I mean, I, I smoked weed in eighth grade, you know, with uh, Ben Lyons and Richard Carson, you know, over <laughs> in the apartment complex from the junior high out of a Coke can. And it didn't get me stoned at all. You know, and then um, when I was in high school playing sports, I was a big high school athlete. You know, we were state champions. I was MVP on the football team. And um, but I had head injuries. I got knocked out. Um, and back then they didn't have rules about putting people back in. So I, you know, I got myself back in the game. I got knocked out again. Um, so I had, uh, encephalitis for six months. That's your brain swelling. And, um, you know, we know now traumatic brain injuries, concussions from football, it causes all kinds of like bad stuff and long-term. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and in the short term, you know, like suicidal thoughts and, and that Crazy. kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I knew I was conscious enough to know that there was something going on. Um, but I couldn't, I was kind of helpless to defend myself against it. So, I ended up getting put on a couple of different pharmaceutical things, which just made me not feel myself. So now I'm in college, my freshman year, and um, I'm on my like third or fourth um, psychotropic drug trying to you know, regulate my brain. And uh, the neighbors invite me over to get me stoned. And I get real stoned for the first time. Like, and uh, I never looked back. <laughs> you know, they're like, dude, you're funny. You come over anytime, get me stoned. I'm getting stoned all week. I stopped taking my meds. And, um, and then I had an experience with mushrooms. And um, I, just, I just felt myself again. You know, things kind of sorted themselves out. And now we know that um, mushroom medicine is a real thing. It, it 
repairs neural pathways and neuroregeneration of brain pathways. And so um, I, I really just kind of got blessed um, with having it be a medicinal thing for me. And so I was hooked. And uh, by the way, I was like, I'm buying an eighth. What's an eighth? You know, like the first day, they, after a week, they're like, okay, dude, you got to buy the next weed. I'm like, all right, uh, we got to get an eighth. What's an eighth? You know, they explained it to me. There's eight eighths and an ounce and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, really? Okay, well, how much is an ounce? You know, if an eighth's 40, an ounce is 250 at the time. I'm like, all right, what, can we get a QP? You know, and I'm, I'm already thinking like, this is great. I need more of this, you know. So that first time that you smoked with them, what, do you remember what strain it was in Washington? That first couple times, was it fire? Or? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in high school I had seen, we'd burned once or twice in high school and it was, it was the freeze or the reds. That was what was in the town and um, interesting done some breeding stuff with that too. Um, but you know, I took my first, so weeks after that end of the semester, they give me my next, um, my next student loan check or whatever. And I, I spent it all on weed. I went and bought a half pound and started selling weed in the dorms and, um, we were growing in our closets and phototrons and then we were taking the lights off of campus and building little boxes and putting the lights in. And then spring came and we were down at Blanchard Hill planting seeds next to creeks. Um, and, and honestly, I didn't have a lot of success, but it was fun. Um, and I was selling weed at the time. And so for the next seven, eight years, I was just into smuggling and moving a lot of weed. And so that really gave me like Kevin Jodry talks about, like he got to see a lot of shit. You know, I got to see a lot of shit. So I knew, and then I got to grow no growers. And so I became connected so that by the time I really started growing, um, that was kind of a whole different takeoff on it, you know, and I kind of had an edge up because I'd seen things that most people hadn't seen. Some of the best growers, if not the best growers I've met, people who are so passionate about it, it starts with them exploring on their own, like planting a seed, trying this, doing that. A lot of the original guys that I came up with, that's kind of how they started was like, oh, this is interesting. Let me go plant this seed somewhere. Okay, that didn't work. Let me, and they started this chase of like, well, I know it's supposed to be like this. Why is it not? And piecing that together, if you make it through that initial year, two years of, of figuring things out, I feel like it's a, it, it becomes a passion. Some of the most passionate growers I've met, that's exactly how it started. Yeah, when my dad would talk about the chicken game, he'd say, once you get chicken shit under your nails, it's hard to get it out. And what he meant by that is you just, you get drawn into it, you know, and with cannabis, especially with growing, um, it's incredible. And then once you start breeding, like once I started breeding and I got to see like what this male does versus all these 10 girls and then see all that. And it's like, it was like, holy shit, this is, this is crazy. I can do all kinds of stuff, you know, and I used to be scared to pop seed, you know, like afraid I'm going to get a boy. I don't even know what to look for, you know, and I had friends that helped me along the way. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like it, it's a whole different little thing you get to get into. And um, lots of people are, are finding that out these days. You know, and I encourage it. Yeah. So, it's oceanfront real estate, too. We used to call it that, right? Like you only have so much square footage and it costs you so much to produce that square footage. If you're, you have to know intentionally, this is what I'm going to do. And if I don't find anything, because that's, that's a lot of times what happens. Some people will just find something because they have to. But if you don't find anything, that's just part of the game. Yeah. That's the hard part. Yeah. You really learn that when you're, when you're trying to find specific cultivars for hash. You know, you have not had your heart broken until you've, you know, ran a whole crop and got a 1% return and just lost your ass. You know, like you're taking $1,000 dabs. 
and it's for real cost you a thousand dollars to create that dab, you know, like that's, that's happened to me more than once, but you know, through that process, you learn, you know, you don't, you don't get to be a good poker player by winning every game. Damn, bro, you got to dab everywhere we go. It's discreet, it's portable, nobody knows. DrDabber.com, use the code, get your excess now. It's the same thing through the game as you learn who to work with. You learn the types of peoples to work with, right? It's like, there's certain types of people that you, you can feel it. Like, okay, this we're on the same wavelength, this will work, or this will try to work. Yeah, and I think honestly that takes, I'm trying to train my kids to be in tune to that because I wasn't trained. Um, and I've made mistakes and, uh, you know, you really got to trust your instincts. You know, my instincts have saved me when I was, you know, running the streets and doing different things. Um, and I really learned to like, try to, try to tune into that. In today's cannabis world, it's, it's almost even more sharky and, um, you know, things can happen. You can, I, I really got to remind myself, like people don't think like me, you know, um, not everybody thinks like you. So hard to judge intentions and sometimes things just don't work out and uh, that sucks when that happens but yeah. you know i'm i'm learning to this day you know to try to keep myself protected and um you know you do have to trust your instincts and surround yourself with good people and it takes time sure. yeah and so growing up in washington you start to plant some seeds and it's kind of a thing where does it start to take off where it becomes a passion and you get into breeding and you kind of dive into this life um so i graduated from the UW around 2003. It took me seven years to get my four-year degree, but I didn't want to graduate. College was great. I was making big money. I had clientele. I was serving the professors and like, it was, it was a dream. Um, but I had some, had some troubles, ran into some troubles with some street things that we'll get into. Um, I decided to move out of the city back into the country. And uh, I went back home for a little bit and I was like, man, I got to get out of my mom and dad's house. Like I can't be back home. This is not, I needed the break. Right. Cause it was like, I was in some dangerous situations and I needed to like, just lay low for a minute. Um, and my buddy, uh, Joey Brewey, he had this little cabin out on the Key Peninsula and he was like, uh, oh, you can, you can grow up my spot. You know, one of the, one of the dudes that I was, uh, my cowboy friend was growing a lot of weed and I was moving it for him. And he was always trying to get me into growing. Um, and so finally I kind of let, let these two dudes talk me into it. And uh, so Joey let me use his cabin out in the woods. And I mean, there was no television, no microwaves. It was just me out there in this, in the bush. The only power was going to the room and we set up a little uh, 5,600 watt. I had 5,000 watts, one 600 watt uh, hydro system, deep water culture, five gallon buckets running general hydros, Lucas formula. He showed me how to do the mix, the res, do the whole thing. And he leaves to Hawaii and he's gone the entire time. And I'm, First crop ever, you know, to call him, have a question, but I just followed his instructions really good. So he basically helped you set it up and then gave you the plants and was like, you got this. Yeah. It was an orange crush. Ooh, that's a orange good crush. one. It was a good one. So he comes back and to harvest and he's like, what the fuck? And I'm like, did I screw this up? And he's like, dude, you crushed this. Like we ended up getting 12 pounds. I don't know that I've matched that. Like, you know, like it took me a long time. Like from there, it was all downhill. <laughs> you know, like the more I learned, the more I screwed it up. Your first at bat was a home run. Oh, yeah. dinger. <laughs> Huge dinger. You know, yeah. it was like I had the whole thing. We had it cut down and it's like six days in, the place is stinking and some real estate lady comes and knocks on the door at this cabin. And I thought, oh my God, I'm done. I'm going to jail. And so it was all these emotions. Um, 4,000 a pound. So we went out and had $100 cigars at the steakhouse. And it was like, I'm hooked. This is, this is dope. You know what I mean? I'm not taking 
points or a couple hundred bucks on each pound. I get all this, you know, and, um, and it was really cool to grow it. You know, that orange crush was a killer. It was so stinky, man. And uh, just a big yielder. Um, so that, that really was my first indoor, um, indoor grow. And from there it was like, you know, he came back and we had to take the lights out and he was moving back into the thing. So it was like, okay, I got to find my next spot. What was it like living in a cabin for that whole time? It was isolation. Like I was out there with raccoons and, um, I don't know. It was, it was a good time for me. I needed to be alone, you know, coming from all the, you know, I, when I was in the city, I got, I'd been kidnapped. Um, I got caught up in a homicide investigation. Like it was, it was all bad, you know? And, um, so it was a good time to be out there and clear my mind and, and really got, got me on a whole different path, you know, got me kind of tucked back in under, under, uh, the cannabis plants wing, you know, she took care of me and remove yourself from the environment. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's different when you're a grower, grower's life is isolation, you know, especially at that time, you know, but I was a hustler. I was running the streets and, you know, doing runs down here in LA. Um, I, I was doing big business in Los Angeles back then. It, they called it, I don't know what they called it, the golden thing coming down from I-5. You know, there was a lot of pressure from Canada, the Canadian. We'd never seen Cali weed up in Washington until after 9-11. Right? Oh, wow. Because there was okay. so much pressure coming down from Canada. It just, that, that just, you know, you had locals and you had Canadian work. I think um, it was going everywhere. It was unbelievable what BCs did. And then even before that, some other strains. But yeah, BC was like the biggest wave we've ever seen. Those dudes were going massive amounts of weed and, and, and for crazy prices. And the dollar exchange rate was kind of weird. So it was a good thing for them. Um, 9-11, they shut that border down cold. And it took about... And I knew dudes in, in my town in Tacoma that ran down south to find new connects. And it took them not even 12 months. And pretty soon that flow was coming up and we were getting purple Urkel and, uh, you know, all the, all the Cali strains that we'd never seen before. I love that purple Urkel was the one. Dude, uh, I, I wish it was still around <clears throat> prevalent. I know there's a few people that say they have it. I haven't seen it pop up in a long time. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good that, one. That was a super dope one. The Urkel was probably my favorite purple from back in the day. Mm -hmm. like, oh, by far. Right. It was straight candied purple. It was granddaddy purple with a twist of sweetness. Just mm -hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. I remember like the cherry pie. That's another good one. That was like the, oh. the best one. So I'm growing my cowboy friends kind of giving me mentorship and, um, and we're coming down to Cali and picking up clones from people. We had to connect in Berkeley. Um, so, you know, then I got into like, so, you know, doing that for a couple of years and then the medical scene kind of pops up. Um, I'd went to Hawaii and got married in 2009 and when I got back in January of 2010, the first four brick and mortar dispensaries had opened up in Washington. And uh, the one that was closest to me was in Tacoma. And I'm like, that's my city. <laughs> so I infiltrated that spot real quick and, um, and was selling herbs to those guys. And then they got, they got busted and uh, they were some old timers. You know, the old timers were the dudes like they didn't give a fuck. They can come and arrest me. You know what I mean? So I was like, all right, these dudes are going to do it. Um, so anyways, these guys got arrested and uh, I bailed them out. I went, I called their friend and I'm like, where are they at? I went and bailed them out. It was cheap. It's a thousand bucks a piece. Still, that's big of you. And, uh, and I went and met him and I said, Hey, listen, uh, thank you for bailing me out. I was like, I don't want my money back. I said, but I want to help with the next spot. And they're like, we got a spot already. We knew they were coming, you know, these old fuckers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, two blocks down the street, yeah. they set up new shop and I'm like, all right, we're going to run this a little different. And, uh, my friend had married, uh, the daughter of the chief of police. And so I was like, hey, Colby, can you hook me up with a meeting with the big guy? And he said, all right. And so I went and met him and I said, listen, I, I want to do the suspensory thing. Um, 
I understand how the medicinal stuff works. I'm working with doctors. Like I, I this is medicine for me. Um, please let me do this and don't send your boys in. And he was like, you will have no problem from the uniform police. He said, undercovers are probably going to come and try to check you out. As long as you're not fucking around, they'll leave you alone. And so we, we kind of got to operate for a while. In Tacoma. Yeah. And that wow. was, that was really dope. Club 420. And, um, yeah, you know, we did that for a little bit and then, uh, I ended up moving on and starting some other ones in federal way. And then those, we got shut down. Um, and it was just like whack-a-mole, you know, and then pretty soon they just let it all fly. And then they used that as the excuse to kind of shut medical down. Um, there was a good run there that those medical days up in Washington were epic. And from where it started to where it ended, like the market advanced, so many cool products had been brought on and, um, you know, we were able to help a lot of people. The growers were doing really cool things, donating products to make RSO for patients. Um, and I think a lot of that has been lost in all the hype and all the marketing behind the rec thing. Um, we've kind of lost sight that, you know, the herb is a sacrament. You know, this is, this is a, a truly a gift. And, um, you know, when you think about what it does for all of us, you know, we should, we should treat it with a little more respect and a little more reverence. Um, so I'd like to get back to that, but you know, the recreational thing, you know, it's just kind of its own beastie right now. And it's just trying to figure it out. You know, it's like, I'm out of the jar, woo! You know, and it'll settle down and, and figure out what it's doing. But those medical days were really dope. And um, when they tried to push out and roll out the legal market, uh, we we stopped them. We gave them pressure back and we stopped them the first year and uh, we organized. And then the next year, it was like an all out push. You know, they had big money behind them and uh, people were excited to legalize things. But, uh, you know, we had an organization called the Cannabis Action Coalition and we were um, using the Freedom of Information Act and we were reading the communications between the legislators and the police and the municipalities and understanding like what these guys were actually trying to do. And we knew that they were breaking the law, making the rules and that they were just going to hurt a lot of people. And some of the promises they made were, we're not going to touch medical rights. The cannabis is going to be better because we're going to test it. It's all going to be tested. Six years later, over a billion dollars in taxes, which means more like $2 billion in sales, and they finally enacted uh, mandatory pesticide testing. But before that, they hadn't, you know. So it was, it was not a really good time. And, uh, you know, now we're in the medical market. And uh, that was kind of a whole big shift. So It's interesting. It's kind of like what Kyle Cushman said, and I, I never thought about it. He's like, we were so big on legalizing or decriminalizing and just getting to that point. We didn't think about now what? How is this going to be enacted? Hold on. What are the laws? And he's like, it was always this push. And then when we got there, it, they just kind of took it over and now it becomes, and it's like every state, I thought like, oh, wow, New York's going to do something very different. Look how they're learning. And then they do the opposite. It's like every state you have hope for, and then you kind of see it go a little sideways, if not completely sideways. Listen, or like Florida. Listen, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, I don't. Uh, but I don't think it needs to be a conspiracy. I think if you just set up a system a certain way, people are going to act a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, but there was definitely some kind of planning behind it. And the folks that were allowing this to happen and rolling it out, you know, because they weren't just doing it this way in the States. They did it the same way. I went up to Canada, talked to my Canadian people, and they're like, this is what's happening. I'm like, that's oddly similar, you know. And then when they tried to push things for medical in Hawaii, 
I went and talked with senators over there. Oh, yeah, we're going to listen with it. And they do the same thing. You know, it's like, you guys can't be this stupid. But I don't know, maybe they are, you know, but. It's baffling. Who are they listening to? You know, who's talking to them? Who's making these rules? Um, I fought real hard against it. Um, there's videos of me on YouTube um, putting the liquor control board on notice, you know, at these public meetings, like calling them out, you know, like you've made these regulations and you don't even understand how this stuff works. You know, I'm working with doctors on juicing cannabis for children and that have seizures and, and you know, poems disorder, you know, and like the rules that you're making, these parents aren't even going to be able to, to do that medicine for their own kids, you know, and you guys aren't even, you don't care about that. And they didn't. They didn't give a shit about it. No. They had their eyes on generating tax revenue. Yeah. You know, and in Washington state, they take 45 cents of every dollar. That's a huge- 35% excise tax. And then whatever municipality you're paying a, a 10, you know, nine to 10% sales tax. That's ridiculous. You know, and people were just, we had one chance to stop that. Okay. If you're in a state right now that doesn't have legalization, here's how you stop that. And we tried to do it, and there's just too many sellouts. Here's how you stop it. When the state opens the door to accept applications, nobody walks through that door. Don't walk through the door. What are they going to do? There's going to be no system until you let us craft the rules. Um, and in Washington State, we were trying to put that message out, but there were so many people that were like, oh, whatever, I'm going to get in line, and I'm going to be great at this. And let me tell you something. Those people really hurt themselves. When they rolled out legal cannabis in Washington, there was, I believe, 1,600 or so producer processor license holders that they granted license to. It's a massive amount. <clears throat> Do you know how many there are today? Take a guess. 300, 500. There was, there was 350 maybe a year and a half ago, two years. They're down to like 150 maybe. Wow. Massive consolidation. The biggest three are... are Enormous compared to the other ones. The top one, Grow Up Farms, Fat Panda, the owner was just federally indicted, $100 million in fraud selling D8 or some kind of CBD stuff and then funneling the money. Like, they allowed this stuff to happen and it really just, it crushed all the small growers. All, the, all those little dudes that ran in there and tried to make a living, they just got eaten up. People lost their savings. They lost their ass, you know? And it's really sad to see, but- that was their own fault because they rushed across that line. They should have stopped and said, we're not going to sign up until you fix these really dumb rules, you know? Man, I'm sick of spending so much time going to the store, having to make all these runs and load all this shit up. Yo, what are you doing here? Tash making day. I'm always at Grow Generation. If you don't want to have to always go into the store, it's super easy. They deliver 60 plus stores nationwide, delivery right to your doorstep and discreet. GrowGeneration.com. Use the code, tell them the family sent you, and get hooked up. They would say, like, oh, well, then all the big companies that have money that don't care about that would come in. It, it's, it's almost like Walmart versus small business, it's farmer's market versus supermarket. It really is. And you see the quality and the difference you get when you go to a proper farmer's market and you can pick out specifics because that's the one thing they do, right? Like it's like this whole farm is focused on produce or honey or that, right? Where now instead of that, it's fancy branding and a lot of stuff like that. 
Washington was a very interesting state because there's so many passionate cultivators, breeders, hash makers, like one of the epicenters for this. One thing I want to go back to though, is your ties to Hawaii. When, how did you meet your wife? Cause your wife is a big part, your wife, correct? Yes. She's a huge part in my opinion, and your, (laughs) your persona and also like your brand and your, I mean, your children, the whole thing I, I love. How did you guys meet? And then how did, did your first mentor tie you into Hawaii? Is that because you sounded like he was going there while you were growing? Um, no, no, no. Mel is, uh, Mel, Mel doesn't have the Hawaiian connection, but okay. um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, he's a, he's an Islander for sure, but he, he's not Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, no, I met my wife. I was, I was blessed enough to meet my wife locally. Um, she was up in Washington. Um, she graduated up there. Her folks had moved to the mainland for a little bit and, um, and, uh, you know, ran into her and, uh, I learned to say her name in Hawaiian. And, uh, that was, that was like my in, <laughs> I think. So, uh, I like share her name. Can I share her name? So, yeah. uh, Yale Tatiana Ku'upua Maole Kapihana Oke Aloha. Um, and so she's, she's the heavenly gift, the heavenly flower. Um, and yeah, so we met and, um, she found, you know, we just talking, you know, and it's like, oh, you, you grow weed and, uh, your family fights chickens. So I'm like, yeah, she's like, you're like my dad, you know? And, uh, again, growing up the way I did, I was, you know, I was around a lot of different cultures and whatnot. And I always, you know, they were always putting me up there with the hula girl dancers at the luau's and stuff. So I always told my dad, you know, like, man, I got a thing for these Island girls, you know? And, um, at the time I met her, I had gone through some rough stuff in my life, you know, and I'd, I'd really prayed to God to bring me some kind of blessing. And, um, actually I was really specific about it and, you know, she showed up and, and she was that blessing and really when I needed it. And, uh, shortly after that, I'd lost my dad and she really helped me in that process. Um, and it's, you know, it is a blessing. It's, it's like one of those things for me, like to have the real fullness, to have a queen there with it's equal and, um, you know, the way that she was raised was different from the way I was raised, you know? And so she introduced me, her family's like Kahuna bloodlines and, you know, the, um, the, the medicine people, the medicine doctors, the, you know, Tutu would say the Kings of Hawaii bowed before nobody except for the Kahunas, you know? So she, she was really tapped into her instincts and vibes. And so she kind of really opened me up to that. And uh, I'd always felt it as a youth. I kind of knew I had this, um, I don't know. I don't want to call it a gift, but this just kind of this thing, you know, and other people have it too. You know, you can, you can communicate almost without talking. You can feel each other on a different level. And uh, so she really kind of opened up my world to that and living my life in a more spiritual way has just, it's, uh, it's opened up doors that I never thought possible. It's allowed me to pray in a different way and grow in a different way. And um, if I'm not loyal to the most high, I'm not doing nothing, right? And if I'm not, if I'm not a husband and, and a good partner to my wife first, I'm nothing, right? And if I'm not a good father and a good dad to my kids, I'm nothing. So all of that comes first, you know? And um, that reflects in kind of the lifestyle, you know? Before I had met her, I was hustling and running around. And when I was growing weed, it was cash cropping and hydroponics. And um, when we started to have kids, I wanted my kids to be in the garden. So I wanted to make it a more safe environment. And I was having health issues. Um, so that all kind of led us down this path of natural living. And, um, you know, that was more in line with how she was brought up in Hawaii. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
she's helped me build my empire. You know, yeah. like we build our first grow rooms. She's helped me build my, my hash labs, you know, uh, the cousins would fly out when it was harvest time. It's like, bring uncle Aldo out, you know, and Aldo would come out, you know, and like first time he's seen snow, you know, mm -hmm. he's like, holy shit, you know? And um, you were spending time in Hawaii then. And she was like, we, hey. we would go back every, every year for at least a couple months, you know, or sometimes twice a year we'd, we'd spend, you know, as much time as we could. And I could do that. Right. Cause I was growing weed. And uh, I put my nephews to work. Uh, we, when we went out there and got married, we were out there for like two, three months. Wow. And uh, my What nephew, island? Uh, Big Island. Yeah, okay. Yeah, shout out Big Island, Kona side. Um, and, you know, so that was like, that was part of the thing, you know, and it's still part of the deal. And we go out there a lot. I'd, I'd like to resettle out there at some point. I'd like my kids to have that opportunity to be raised in, with the Hawaiian culture. Um, it's different. It's throwback. It's like stepping in a time machine. And uh, just the way that, especially the youth have respect for their elders and, um, you know, it's yes, uncle, you need help, uncle, you know, and they're there, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it, I have massive respect for, for Hawaiian people and their culture. And it's, uh, they've taught me a lot, you know, I think we can learn a lot from indigenous peoples in general. Um, but, you know, she's, she's imparted a lot of, of that on me. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Hawaiian dish? Uh, man, I love Lao Lao. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love Lao Lao. <laughs> and uh, you know, they taught me how to go, uh, night diving, um, bug picking, lob diving for lobsters. So, you know, you're snorkeling out there with flashlights underwater. Uh, the one brother's like, you're crazy. I'm not doing this. You know, and the other one's like, yeah, we go bra, you know? And, um, <laughs> so we're out there doing it and, you know, we used to do that actually quite a bit. Mm. Um, and I was like, I just feel like a kid out there again, you know, free, you know, like Peter Pan, you know, you're just reconnecting with nature on another level. And, um, and there's some good brethren out there. Um, my, my buddy, Logan, Minister Logan, he owns uh, Conscious Rhythms. It's a head shop in South Kona and they do music and uh, one wheel stuff. And he has like, uh, like a, a Rasta school for kids. You know, they come in, they got like instrument day to play music. And they were, we'd take our kids when we were there, we'd take them over to class on Thursday and they're learning how to, you know, cut, uh, cut bananas and like replant banana trees and how to do, you know, like just farming stuff and playing drums and, uh, just, just really cool experience. And, um, I've been able to share genetics with them and hashy stuff. And yeah, it's a, it's a really cool, it's a cool thing to be able to have that connection and support people over there in, in whatever way I can. You know, you met some cool growers over there. Oh, hash there's, makers. there's all kinds. We, we had like yeah. the, uh, the all Hawaii invitational. Oh, really? In the jungle. I went out, showed up one trip and they're like, oh, let's have an invitational. So they invited all their buddies, you know, next week we're, we're up at uh, this spot in the bush, you know, and, and hash is showing up and uh, it, yeah, it was, you know, it's Very freaking cool. awesome. And then, you know, since then they've, they had like the, the expos and stuff and um, Greystone had a, the Ahi cup that they hosted on Maui one year and we went out there DNA genetics and there was a whole bunch of folks out. There was just, there's really cool stuff happening all over, you know, but Hawaii is, is super special and who doesn't want to go there and, and kick it and participate in that, you know? One of the best experiences I've ever had was staying like about a eight to 10 days out there. It was unbelievable. I'll never forget it. Hiking up and taking dabs at waterfalls and then just the food, the culture. I really like the way a family unit is strong and how they almost all raise each other. They, yeah. they, they keep that tight knit unit. I think that's so important that we've lost that over time. I do think the same way. I think there's a lot we can learn from them. You know, like uh, we go to the beach or the park and mainland style is like, everybody's really like hawking their kids and y y 
you're only looking after your kid, you know, and the other parents looking after their kid and they're afraid to say anything to your kid. Hawaii, that is not the case. Everybody is watching out for everybody's kid. And, you know, uncle is not afraid to like, you know, hey, baby, come here, you know, and, and look out. It's just it's just a different feeling. And people are not, you know, and I think on mainland, like people are just a little uptight about it. You know, like, man, I don't want my kids screaming or whatever, you know, and it's like over there, they're just not, let the kids be kids. You know, it's okay. And yeah, we got you, bro. You know, it's just, it's just a different, different vibe. And honestly, that's the way it's supposed to be. I don't know how we got away from that here or if we ever had that, um, but that's, that's the way to do it. So you guys marry and you start to have kids, but you're based out of Washington. Mm -hmm. So you just traveled to Hawaii and back. Uh, what's it like now in this industry as you start to have kids and kind of navigating that? You know, my kids have, they've grown up with it. You know, I mean, Anella was a baby. We put in our first, you know, couple gardens and really we're expanding things. Um, so they've, they've really grown up with it and, and they're around it the whole time and they've helped, you know, they helped me box up my seeds. Um, my little boy did his first breeding project this year. You know, we're out pulling males and he's like, dad, I want my own patch, you know? And I'm like, he's like, can I keep this one? I'm like, it's a boy. And he's like, all right, we'll plant it over there. And you know, it's just, it's, it's really cool that they're, I'm able to do that. Cause I always thought before I had kids, like, man, when I have kids, I got to stop this. Um, I can't do this. And now, you know, those stigmatisms are removed. The, the legal shit that I was worried about with them going to school, I don't have to sweat that no more. You know, teachers are smoking weed now that it's legal. Principals are growing weed. And like, it's just everybody's having fun. And I so think it could be looked at a lot like growing up on a winery where they're breeding grapes or they're importing different strains of grapes and you're teaching the barreling process. You're teaching the whole process of, of basically making a beautiful bottle and you're passing down this legacy business. I think, I think it's awesome because, yeah, a lot of the guys I did come up with, that was the whole thing. Man, as soon as I get a girl or I have kids, I got to figure something out. And it's like, well, not really. This is a passion. This is a legitimate business. And th like you said, the stigma is being taken away that I think incorporating it into a normalized thing is beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a farmer. I love the, the earth, right? That, that's, you got to love the aina. You got to pour yourself into it. You know, Tutu say, you, you malama the garden and the garden will malama you back. You love the garden and it will love you back. And, and having my kids raised in that, you know, like I, we, we go forage mushrooms. They will talk to you about mycelium, about indigenous microorganisms. They're knowing this stuff now. You know, I'm teaching them about how their stomach works, how their body works. You know, why we don't eat school lunch, you know, all kinds of stuff. And um, sometimes it feels a little heavy. You know, I save it more for like my older kids, you know, um, but my little boy's really like keen to pick it up, especially the garden stuff. You know, he just wants to follow me and do what I'm doing, you know, and uh, take pride in that. And there's nothing wrong. I'm not ashamed of what I'm doing, you know, and if somebody doesn't like that tough shit for you, you're missing out, you know, because there's nothing better for your kids than getting their hands in the soil to go walk through the forest, find food, learn how to forage food. You know, we really need to get back to that a lot more. Um, if COVID didn't teach you that, you know, if you weren't scared of your food supply being cut off, like, man, I was petrified. I was, we were in Hawaii actually, and we were building gardens. Like, During when COVID broke out, yeah, you were in yeah. Hawaii. I knew it was coming. Wow. I booked tickets before the kids' spring break. I, I was watching things. My wife's like, what are you watching all this shit? I'm like, they're going to shut shit down. Okay, they locked down 40 million people in China. They're shutting this shit down. So let's get out to the island because who knows, you know, if it kills 
you know, 2 billion people, society is going to collapse. And we would like to be far away from all that bullshit out here in a tropic climate. We can grow stuff. Your family's here. We can take care of people. I got seeds. We can fish. We'll be all right. We'll be all right. Yeah. You know, um, but I think in, in things passing, people have already forgotten. And for me, I can never forget. <laughs> I can never forget. So I'm, I'm building food sovereignty on my, my 14 acres. We're planting trees. We're planting, you know, whatever we can to, you know, supplement the diet and, and build something out. It's not something you can just do overnight. Um, but, you know, being on that path and teaching the kids like this is the way and getting reconnected to that. Um, I think that's, that's just like my responsibility. You know? I think it's so important. And them raising this, seeing the gratitude you get when you plant a carrot and then when you eat the carrot, you know, when you plant these vegetables or even if you go into livestock, right? And you're watching the process of a chicken having eggs and then they're eating the eggs and that whole thing for someone as an adult who got exposed late, I can see how important that is being exposed young, right? Like being on a farm, raising children, and especially having that mindset is everything these days. Uh, a lot of what we're lacking. Yeah. My, my kids have chores every morning before they can even get ready for school. They have to go and water the chickens. I, I also raise turkeys and, oh, um, wow. you know, we butcher the turkeys and, and share them with, with friends and family for Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, they're part of that process. The girls shy away a little bit, but they've seen it. They know what it is. You know, I mean, listen, if you like to eat chicken, you can't be upset by this process, you know? Um, and and it, it, it is, it's teaching them responsibility, you know? And, and it's, it's not like you can just treat that, that turkey anyway. You got to You got to love it. You got to care about it. You got to think about like, does that turkey have water? I'm going to go check. So when they get home from school, they go back out, do their second set of chores, you know? Um, but they're, they are, they're, they're much more responsible. It ties them to something and, um, you know, it's, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. This is the way. <laughs> yeah. And so then you start to go through this journey in Washington with legalization where big money comes in. They want to build out these huge facilities they take over warehouses that used to be Pepsi Cola, Coca Cola. I've heard, I, I know people out mm -hmm. there. I took over the Nally Valley. There you go. If you're not happy with your current nutrient company or you're not happy with how your products or flour is coming out, try Drip Hydro. All you got to do is go to fsotd.com, get the discount code, and driphydro.com or grow generation stores nationwide, online or in store. We get you hooked up. You got to try Drip Hydro. Everybody's switching to drip, and whether you want to come in store or you need a drop straight to your facility, Grow Generation can help you out there. Tell them the First Smoke family sent you and get on Drip Hydro now. What's that like? Because it definitely is away from the roots of where it started. Uh, is it a, I know you said it's a, it's been a tough integration, but like, what's that look like when it, the wave hits? Yeah, I think that was 2015, 2016 that they rolled it out. Um, I didn't participate. I said, no way I'm signing up for this. You guys asked me to sit down and play poker. You're going to change the rules. You want me to ante up all this extra. I, I'm not, I'm not going to participate. So I stayed, uh, where I was and, um, operating in the, in the black. And, uh, it was only years later that I thought that things had calmed down. They changed enough rules to where it would be okay. Um, and, and so then I decided to play, but those first couple years, it was honestly, it was just ugly the way that they rolled back and they were greedy and they were, and then they were like, 
first they let the medical market kind of exist a little bit and then they're like no we need their money too so get those guys out of there um and you know again not pesticide testing knowing these big ops are coming in and doing this stuff you know anheuser-busch owned the company that was doing all the track and trace so they were collecting all the data <laughs> philip morris had secret farms I mean, we know this stuff because we had this savant that knew all like, bro, he was, he was in everybody's shit. Um, and it was, it was horrifying to watch. It's absolutely horrifying. And, um, I also had to make adjustments in what I was doing. You know, I've had to reinvent my hustle so many times, right? It used to be sell weed and then it was grow weed and then it was, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to do breeding, you know, and I'm kind of making hash, but I'm not making a living at it, but I knew how to do it and I loved it. So I was doing that. And selling little bits and everybody, the BHO wave was, you know, I'm not fucking BHO, right? Stores don't want to buy my six star even. Um, not even joking, right? Yeah. So I'm just kind of like struggling, um, trying to reinvent myself for the next thing. And pretty soon the hash is taken off and I'm doing hash stuff. And, you know, things just, something just always opened up. You know, I just trusted the whole thing, you know? And along the way, I got to build that, that whole kind of, it was almost like, man, you shifted here, here, and here. But if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have got into the breeding. Wouldn't have had that tied in with the hash. So, you know, you're looking at somebody that was a street hustler and then a breeder and I'm a hash maker and I'm now, and then it was like pulled into the regenerative farming and learning how to do these Korean natural farming. And like, I got all that experience. My resume is really dope. I think, you know, I've got a real cool understanding you know so it feels like my college career you know like i don't have a major i got five majors you know like i got a general studies degree but uh i'm really good at all these things because i did it all and i failed and i, I learned my lessons so i know the why of it um and then being able to operate in you know pre cover for like you know just just straight up illegal shit days to medical days and then the market now in the rec thing I've been able to see trends that, that fall off and trends that keep going. Okay. So Nostradamus <laughs> is here to tell you, <laughs> you mid boys, your days are numbered. Okay. Because the consumer, once they see this shit, you know what I mean? We got them. They're not coming back to you. You know, once, once they get a hold of the good stuff, you know, I oh, smell that. That's unbelievable. I just took <laughs> I like, off. I'm like, Whoa. I like yeah. <laughs> that's a that's oh. hash mask. Okay, so um, I had that cherry pie cut and uh, oh. exotic. Mike was coming over and getting his his head stash. You know, he's like, oh, give me that cut, and I'm like, no, dude, I'm selling you the <laughs> weed. Uh, he's like, well, let's do breeding. So we did a breeding project, and he he took it to um, to his starfighter, and I took um, took that cherry pie to my alien Kush, and then we bred them together. He gave me a bunch of, you know, like we kind of did a swap in boys and girls, and uh, we came up with one called Gas Mask, and we did that line together. And then um, I outcrossed that Gas Mask into my coffee to make this one, which is Hash Mask. And um, I like how deep you go. You, you go deeper than most people. It's, and it's, it's such a, to explain to people who don't know, it's, you're talking years. When we try to talk depth, right? Where you, when I say this, I mean, then I cross it to my strain and then I found, right? Where most people would take the first, uh, the first exit. This times this equals, I found a keeper. Now you take that and you keep bringing it back to your line. It's, I think it's super important and very hard to do. 
for most people. So let's talk about this, this breeding stuff for a little bit, right? Cause it is, it is crucial and there's seed makers and there's seed breeders. A lot of that just has to do with selection and working lines. There's room for everybody out here. I think it's all awesome. I'm gonna say that up front. You know, some people like misconstrue what I say and they try to start drama between me and my friends. I love anybody that's in the weed thing doing it. You're my brother. I got, I'll fight all the other fuckers first, you know, like <laughs> we're good. Okay. I'm not going to nitpick. You know what I mean? Like, regenerative farming is better than knf is better than like no man we're all in the same boat y'all like until we're out there in the thing like we're on the same boat so um when i got into the seed game it was different and i had a mentor you know and he was like you can make all the polyhybrids you want but you need to be working your lines because this ain't about you this is about the plant and if you're just making polyhybrids you're not doing anything to further the plant so you be working your lines. So, and I figured out some little cheat codes that I'm not going to share, but little cheat codes with how to breed so that you're capturing that you're able to do your line breeding and your outcrosses. Like all my outcrosses were just fun. I was really doing the BXs and the F generations, breeding brothers and sisters, doing selections. That's what I was doing. And then I would pull in the dope clones that I had and put them in there too. And then release those as the poly hybrids. Or, you know, the F1s or whatever. But it was always this mission to create things um, on the line thing. And I got really blessed because I shared stuff. I went to the Living Soil Symposium, which is where I met Josh and Kelly. And um, Green Source Gardens, we can get into some of these seeds and stuff. But um, I blessed people with these seeds. And I didn't know how special coffee was. I mean, I knew it was, it produces great hash, it produces awesome flowers. I honestly, I like the smoke better than I like the hash even. Really? Bro, the smoke on coffee is ridiculous. Wow. I've only had the hash. So I can, and it was top three best hashes I've ever had in my life. I love it. And you. I've had hash <laughs> everywhere. So. <laughs> I smoke all the hash. Like, dude. Wow. So I, I, I blessed Nicholas with green source with some F3s and um, he starts line breeding it and he's bred it out. I think like the F8, F10. And um, you know, generally if, if, if somebody does that and then they go sell your stuff, like that's kind of taboo. You don't do that. It's really stepping on somebody's toes, but we have a different relationship, you know, and we're trying to further the plant and I see the good works that they were doing. And then, you know, they would bring the product back and say, Hey, how can we distribute this where we're both feeding off of this thing? So it's, it's symbiotic relationships. There's no usury going on. I, I, I'm not going to spend my life doing that. You know, one but, of my um, favorite Instagrams to follow <clears throat> green source gardens. Oh, it's magical unbelievable absolutely magical yeah you know um how'd you guys link up at the symposium yeah uh, yeah that living soil symposium that they had in medford oregon um i went down with space bound and down and organitron and um two there, other there was, there was, two was, other ogs yeah there was really like a really <laughs> awesome um you know they had i think his name is nick slaughter uh, uh bio bio fortress or soil soil fortress uh it was science guys and um um Mugwort and Jerry Buckets, who were some dudes from Philly that were going like in inner city growing stuff and they were doing IMO and Korean natural farming. They actually had Master Cho come out to their farm in Oregon. Like, dude, this this farm they had was off the chain. Um, so we're at the symposium. Josh and Kelly got 300 farmers in there crying. Like Kelly was literally the voice of Mother Nature channeled through her. I felt shame. I'm not gonna lie, I felt shame sitting in the audience. People kind of knew who my brand was because I was pumping the brand. And uh, I was on that trying to, trying to build some hype and I had forgotten what the root of the thing was. And so I was crying in shame 
everybody else would cry and touched by what she was saying. Um, you know, what we owe to this plant, what this plant means to us. Take this in a little deeper, folks. Take a deep breath, you know, and um that was that was a compost pile. That was that was us in there fermenting something. And she said, when we leave here, this is this is going to spread. And man, she wasn't lying. So I had given uh Green source, uh, a pack of seeds, and they did their thing with it. A lot of other folks took my seed from there um, and started doing things with it. And um, the plant, it turns out, is fantastically resilient and hardy and grows outdoor and is like, PM what? Mold what? Rain on me, fool. Like, yeah, it's, it's nothing, <laughs> you know? So super hardy. And, um, you know, it's been a blessing and that's why so many people are breeding with it. And, um, I never really thought that that could happen and, and it happened, you know, and it's just been a beautiful thing and it's connected me to so many people. Um, I, I came down to teach this class this weekend, um, shout out Rosentech labs and hashtag helping me out, put this on. And one of the kids that uh, came in, he got this cut of a uh, hash mask from, from Josh D, somebody down here knew we were affiliated, gave it Josh D, Josh D passed it to the kid, you know, now, you know, we're showing up, it's here, you know, it's like, it's really cool when people use your gear and bring it back and they're showing you stuff or, or they're making seeds and then, hey, I made this cross, can I send you some, I'll send them, I love getting those seeds back, I can't, I've lost count of how many people have done that and it's just, it's awesome, it's cool to be a part of that, you know, and, and not feel selfish about it or hurt by it, you know, um, what are some lessons you've learned breeding, specifically breeding? In terms of? The plant life, uh, the process. Is oh, there anything yeah, that you've yeah. taken away from that side of things or, you oh, know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A ton. Um, it's mind blowing because if people have grown crops and then they get the flower out there and people are enjoying the flower, that's like three or four star, right? And then when you produce something that's special and the wave hits where people are growing it and showing you what they've, that's like six star. That's like next level. And until you've done that, it's, it's almost like enlightening. You almost get to the next level of like you as uh, a character in a game, right? Where you're like leveling up it, even just physically, mentally, like, wow, this is, oh, okay. Positivity adds up. Negativity subtracts. So if you're being a negative person, it's going to be a short road for you. You know, so putting out positivity, sharing love, sharing my blessings with people. I just learned to pass it on. It's not mine to keep. And, um, you know, there was a, a song in kindergarten, love is something, if you give it away, it always comes back to you, you know? So that's what you have to do. And don't be afraid of that. You know, I think people are afraid of scarcity. They're afraid, uh, you know, I hear this thing, people perpetuating it all the time. There's a, a, a big name in cannabis, I'm not gonna put him out there, but, you know, he was just recently talking about scarcity and planet earth and, you know, Mars and um, cosmic things. And I thought, man, I got to sit down with this brother because we're on different wavelengths, you know? Because if you listen to, to Green Source with Nicholas talk about the universe, that's where the cosmic energy's at, you know? You got to grow those plants under the sun, moon, and stars, you know? And th that light rays are carrying information and that's getting absorbed by the plant, you know? And, and then we're ingesting that resin and there's a higher something coming to our brain. Like, think about this, right? Think about it with me for a minute. What are you doing with your stone? Are you diving into a bag of chips? Do you ever get catch a chance to really catch a meditation, think about something, reflect on your life, reflect on your friendships? You know, that's what it's really there for. 
you know, and, and when you can use that to elevate your stuff, like now you've, you've really connected with the plant on a higher level and you can now connect with other people on a higher level. Um, and you can build and you can make your experience more rich, more full, you know, um, Jimmy V, the basketball coach used to say, if you laugh, if you cry and you think every day, you know, you'll have a full life, you know, let's, let's do that. Don't be afraid of having emotions and being connected. Like that's, that's part of what the plant's supposed to do for us. You know, let's, let's get back to that, that link. Um, and, you know, Green Source, to go back to that, you know, he's talking about the cosmic energy and what we're doing here on Earth and how the plant is relaying that message. If you're not following him right now and, and understanding this message, he gave the first time I heard him talk about this was up at the Moth event, a hash event they had at Mothership Glass um, last, last spring. Oh, wow. That's and, gotta be dope. Oh, dude, it was, it was incredible. And he gets up there and he starts talking about the cosmic energy and, and the plants and the resin and how that all ties in. And, um, it was powerful. Like I was all ears, you know, and, and it just, you know, that kind of stuff, it sticks with you. And I try to not let it fade out of my, my process, you know? Was that the first time you had been up at the mothership uh, yeah. facility? Yeah. That's gotta be pretty mind blowing. Oh, that place is, is fully next level they're the vehicle for hash yeah you know and i've always thought this is kind of crazy like i'm kind of one of the i'm kind of a big thing in washington you know a mothership's sure. like the top thing and i'm making like the highest grade hash in washington right now i'll take that title i'm gonna stay up and you know talk my shit a little bit <laughs> i got the highest grade hash here. i need to meet the highest grade glass blower you know and uh the first time i got to meet him it was just like dude this guy's cool you know he's a he's a different you know, an artist, you know, and he's just in a different headspace and he's not worried about this or that. And that's what makes him special and makes his things special, you know? Um, and to have these people in the Northwest, I mean, you know, even the breeders, exotic Mike and, you know, all these other cool people that come from the area, like it's a really special spot, you know, but being able to go into that studio and see these people, um, and some of the, the artwork that he's built, you know, um, it's, it's really cool. And, and it's, it's an integral part of the culture. Um, I've actually done some collaboration stuff with some glass artists to immortalize my stuff, you know, like the hash goes away, the smoke gets smoke, right. But this stuff stays forever. Um, and, and there you have it. It's, it's, it's all tied in and we should be having those links, you know, and, and you're seeing them happen more often, you know, DFOs, a, a dope event. There's all kinds of really cool stuff going on. Um, and you see them, you know, it's more open, right? We can have these kind of events, whereas before you just couldn't do that kind of stuff. It's like where we first met was uh, the first time I had met in person, I followed you forever. Since the day I think I jumped on Instagram, I was like looking at who's doing what, where. Uh, Emerald Cup, one of my favorite events back in the day to go to and connect with people from literally all over the country who had been focused on this for 11 and a half months and then would pop out of the garden to show up there for yeah. two weeks. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like, and for you to ride around the ice cream cart and to have hash and it's just like, you got to be you, which we lose some of that. And we're getting back to it. I see it starting to trend back, but yeah, it's like, what was that like? 
did you, cause you're, you're coming from a place where the culture is very strong. When you get down to Emerald cup and you, you're connecting with now all these Cali growers and Cali breeders and what's that like? Dude, it was a whole bigger world, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, wow, this is, this is, these guys are fucking even more down. Like, you know, like I, I my nephew went to, uh, he went and played for the humble crabs, the college uh, baseball team. He went to college over there, you know, and it was like next level. Oh, it's, it really is like in, in the culture there, it's even stronger, you know, because that's what supported those people for a long time. You know, up in Washington, it was like more isolated and not like a community thing like Humboldt and, and Mendocino have like, that's, that's a whole different kind of thing. Um, so to be able to come down there and experience that, it was a little intimidating. I'm not going to lie. Um, the first, I didn't even go, like I sent one of my minions, um, down there one year, shout out Primo. I love you, dude. Um, sent him down there with a backpack. And I was like, I don't know, you know, if people know my seeds enough. And uh, he went around and sold everything out of that backpack. And we're like, boss, <laughs> they love this shit. You got to come down next year. I'm like, all right, we'll go next year. So next year we went and we rolled in with like uh, a, a grocery cart full of jars of weed, like 12 pounds. And uh, mountains of boxes. These they were like the big boxes. I love your packaging. And yeah. um, and just it was nonstop. I couldn't even stop to go to the bathroom. Like we had the Rasta brothers were in there, you know, weighing up the weed, selling weed as fast as they could put it in a package. And those dudes knew that year is like the Whalers played, and they knew the Whaler dude. So all those guys were over there in the booth with us. Collie buds came over. We're smoking with Collie buds, and like it was, bro, it was dope. It was like I'm like, what in the fuck is going on here, <laughs> yeah. bro? Like people are buying seeds like crazy, you know. Um, I got interviewed by the L.A. Times, you know, and I didn't even know. Some lady comes up, she's asking me questions, leaves like you know, like a month later. My friend's like, bro, you're in the L.A. Times. I'm like, what? Full on my picture, you know, and I'm like, whoa, dude, this is fucking crazy. Um, and then the next year I put some more money and effort into it, you know, and like actually did like a proper booth and did the the turp trike, um, which was really cool. I, I wanted to do an ice cream truck. The babysitter growing up, we were always watching Cheech and Chong, Nice Dreams and all, like all of them. She let us watch. So, you know, here I am. All these I'm like, I want an ice cream truck. And I called Emerald Cup people and they're like, no, you can't have an ice cream truck. I'm like, how about an ice cream cart? And they're like, yeah, you can do that. You know, I'm on it, you know, um, <laughs> found a company in Portland and they, they put together this really dope custom bike for me. And it was, it was really cool. Next year, third gen fam had their bike, you know, I'm like, Brandon, we're racing. Come on, let's get it. Um, so smart, bro. It was so cool. Very different. It's very much you. That's what's awesome with the brand. Like you live it. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you, how'd you get the nickname Kaya? Okay, so the truth is, when I was running the streets, my nickname was Cuddy. I had a, I had a, I had a, um, I had an old 1971 Cutlass Supreme that I would drive around town, and you know, they called me Cuddy. And um, I kind of had to kill Cuddy when I left the streets. And then I was just out growing in the woods, and nobody knew me, so that was cool. And then um, when I went into town to break into that that uh, new dispensary scene. I'm outside the door of the dispensary and I'm realizing I don't have an alias. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I don't want to show these guys my ID, you know? So like I pulled out the good weed first, you know? And, um, and I'm thinking about Bob Marley all the time. I love Bob. Um, and I'm like, Kaya. I'm gonna, so they say, Hey, who are you? And I'm like, oh, check this weed out, distract them, you know? Oh, that's great. You know, who are you? I'm Kaya. So then they invite me in all those years of medical scene, bro. I never had to show my ID to anybody. 
they always would let me in because I just had this reputation and they always called me Kaya. So my secret was safe. Um, you know, and then it was like, well, what's your last name? And so I give him my middle name, Paul, mm -hmm. you know, so it's <laughs> Kaya Paul, yeah. you know, and then I'm like, um, I love the most high, you know, I, I love God and, um, and reggae music and Rastafari brought me into that fold. And, um, I just, I wanted to pay homage to that. So I put the Ross in front short for Prince Rasta. You know I mean? My, my daughter's name is Iris Tafari, you know? So like, it's, it's, it's just, you know, I just, I want, I want to walk it. I want to represent it, you know? So I put that on there. That's how we came up with Ross Kayapa. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I love how it's a street nickname, but it's also like a peaceful street nickname. It's not, right. you know, it's not second cutty. shooter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's not too low. It's the homie nine millimeter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Those are, those are some of my homies, bro. <laughs> Rampage, Sickness, yeah. Chewy Loke, Little Loke Lida. Those were my dogs, you know, like. I just want to deal with Kaya. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll just, uh, just put me with Kaya. Uh, I tell people it took a lot of violence to make me this peaceful. You know, I've seen some some horrible shit. I've been through some horrible shit. I've been kidnapped. I've done, uh, you know, it's it, the streets are rough. The streets are, are no place for anybody, really, you know. One of the things, it's interesting you say, like, different lives or many lives, right? Chapters in the lives. When my stepfather was passing away, I remember one of the things my mom asked him was, like, do you regret anything? And one of the things he was, like, on his deathbed was, like, no, I've lived five different lives. I don't regret. And, and I'll never forget that part because it's so true that you run through these chapters in your life. And if you can almost not reinvent, but you grow, you grow into these new chapters, you become someone different, uh, your environment's different. It, it's uh, so important for evolution of a human being, especially in this business too, because this business is forever changing. We've seen it in 20 years, night and day difference. You know, this is how I deal with things because I've lost some good friends and it's sometimes it's like really spirit crushing. It's sad. Um, and I ask God, why, why is this happening? You know, um, I lost my, this last 18 months have been like tremendous for me. I lost my mom. I lost my bulldog, like all kinds of rough stuff. And, um, you know, I find myself driving down a country road crying, like, God, why are you doing this to me? And then I would just meditate on it and, and God would answer. You know, and, and understanding that life is, life is full of struggle, but it's also full of overcoming that struggle, you know, and, and things that happen to you are not meant to crush you. They're meant to move you to a new place. And I'm the kind of person, like, I'm really loyal and I'll stick in a spot, even if it's not the best. If I'm in a relationship, even if I'm, I'm going to stick in that fucker, Business, you know, to, yeah. to my deficit, you know, but. If God wants you to move on to the next thing, if that's not part of your plan, you're going to get moved on to that. And you can let that crush you. You can be offended by it, or you can just go, all right, what's, what's the teaching in this? What am I supposed to take with me? And where am I going? And don't fight it because you're going there, you know? And um, just last year, I had some problems with my, my business partners and it was, it was crushing. It sucks. I'm going to probably have to go court and do a bunch of dumb stuff. And it's like, um, I lamented for maybe a week and then I said, okay, what do you, what do you want from me? What's my next move? And doors started opening up. Literally the phone rings. Hey, Kaya, why don't you come and do this event? You know? And it's like, oh, all right. You know? And then it's an opportunity 
You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to go, man, I just had my dreams crushed. Um, I'm going to go jump in the same dream. No, man, I took some time. Reevaluate. Don't rush into something new. Don't panic. You're going to be okay. Something's going to open up. And when I stop fighting the negativity and just let things open up, boom, they open up. I just taught my first class here in LA. Tremendous success. I mean, sold out. Everybody in there was like stoked at the end, stoked at the beginning. Like it was just, it was really good. Let's talk about it a little bit. What, yeah. what was it? And, and talk about the experience. Yeah. So um, talking with my friend Alex, who makes the hashtag machines. And um, we, we had been working with this uh, moth uh, event thing that was going on and um, doing this hands-on kind of experiencing. And it just, you know, it just never kind of stuck. Things happen. Um, and so he was like, you know, you, you should really teach, you know, what, what, what are you doing right now? You know, and, and he had actually helped me. He had sold one of the units to a, a farm and they needed consulting. So he said, hey, go take care of that. And so I went and, and did the consulting gig and that turned into a collaboration thing. And it's like, hey, this, this actually could work. This is kind of cool, you know. And then um, the next farm calls and they want to do the same thing. And then Alex calls. He's like, hey, why don't you teach a class? And um, now I can connect with more people and um, the Rosin Tech lab folks. He's like, we can host it down there. Incredible facility. Holy cow next level that that processing facility that they have down in torrents wow really oh dude it's so cool and that guy's making he made the press he makes he's he's the dude that runs the cartas now and um they're making hash and processing and doing like just super work so they were kind enough to let us do the operation there we integrated their team into the teachings which was awesome um and it was fantastic two-day event fully sold out we taught them a to Z, we talked about, you know, the sacrament, what the plant is, the history of hashish, the history of cannabis, my role in the stuff, and then kind of went into cultivation, genetics, harvesting for fresh frozen, how to wash, how to post-process, um, you know, and I, the way I do things, I like to collaborate. So I brought in some people that I thought had valuable information, and um, it's really dope when you call somebody and you're like, hey, can you come do this? And they're like, dude, automatic. What do you charge? I'm not even gonna charge you. I'm just gonna show up. You, bro, you normally charge 10k to go and do a consulting. Yeah, I know, but I'm down. Let's do this. Let's see where this takes us. You know, and um, super awesome. And so I'm building stuff, and I'm I'm putting together SOPs from cool people, and trying to figure out how we can monetize that and protect people's IP and and give us a way to make some money off it. Like, it's just changed my whole my whole headspace, you know, instead of focusing on one farm and making that thing to peak performance, which I've done multiple times now and, and had issues at the end. The bra was like, I just got you guys. Like we're, we're there now. I got sweat, years of sweat equity in like everybody's hired and trained and we're winning competitions. And, and now Kai is out. Like that's happened to me twice and good luck, you know, do your thing. But, um, we hear about it all over. Yeah. But instead industry. of getting my head stuck Great. in that space, I'm like, I got something else to do. Most high is moving me off of that block to do something else. And man, these doors that are opening up, you know, like I always kind of had a hunch like, man, I think I can make more money. I think I could have a bigger influence. I can do more. You know, I can reach more people um, being stuck in one spot and working on one thing. I've graduated from that. You know, it's time to move on. It's time to do something bigger, time to impact something on a bigger scale. Um, the Roots brand needs to come out of Washington. 
it needs to be in California and Oregon and New Jersey and New York and um, Florida, you know, Florida. Whenever yeah. I get to these places, I mean, I, I, people came from all over the country, Florida, Maine, Alaska, Hawaii, yeah. uh, out of the country, Colombia, Spain, Canada. They came to my class. Like that was so humbling and incredible. Um, roots needs to be out there. You know, I need to be collabing with these gardens and sharing my mana'o, my wisdom and, um, you know, helping to develop this thing that we're doing. It's enlightening to teach, they say. It's a, you actually learn a lot from teaching. Do you find that? Yeah, yeah. And it was a little bit difficult going back to the computer. You know, spent my time in college and I've had, I've had the laptop, you know what I mean? I don't use it much, emails and check on my Bitcoin, but. Um. <laughs> oh, you're a big Bitcoin guy? Uh, yeah, yeah. I definitely think it's the future. I just think it's, it's a little further out than we expected. Here's the thing. Welcome Whatever you think life. of it, I get it. Yeah. For me, it comes down to one thing. Super simple. I want to sell seeds around the world. I got seed banks. I partnerships with people in Paris. Shout out Attic 360, um, South Africa, uh, the Green Affiliate, um, some folks out in Thailand doing stuff with my gear. I want to be able to send seeds throughout the world. Okay. Why not? And I can do that. That's easy. But how can I get paid for that? How can I get the money back here? That's very difficult in some cases. Well, and even right? getting seeds there but is But Bitcoin legal. is really easy. Yeah. Super easy. You know, they don't have Cash App or Venmo in some of these countries, but everybody's got Bitcoin, right? So the utility of that alone, I mean, that's priceless. And I can't tell you all the moves I've been able to make and help other people make using that form of payment. So to me, that alone makes it like really crucial, whatever you think of it is. Um, that in itself is crucial, you know. It opens a big door for free market exchange. Absolutely. Huge door. And I think that's why it's getting pushback because people are like, wait, what? Oh, we can't track. Oh, wait, what? And people can have a little USB and have insane amounts of money on it and they could move anywhere in the world and not be. You think about, think about, I mean, I, I, I studied a lot of the stuff like diamonds. Okay, what's the point of the diamond doing? You know, like you sell your house, put it into a diamond, put it on your finger, jump on a plane, get out the other spot, drop the diamond, buy your house, right? What do you think all oh, this big glass game stuff? What do you think a lot of that was about? That was about, I just sold all these packs down there. I can't put the money. I'm going to buy a big, you know, and then I can move it back. I, you'd like, come on. Like, yeah. First time I ever heard like 20K, call it a day. 30k call it a day and you're like when you would explain to outsiders like you see this piece of glass <laughs> I this is a $40,000 rig or a $60,000 rig I remember smoking with uh, one of the owners of 710 labs and I was I'd like hold it with both hands even me because I was like, I'm like damn this is this is a, what a what now you're like whoa okay but yeah real interesting but yeah uh so was hash before seeds or was seed, uh, hash after seeds? I was making hash like from the jump, but it wasn't high grade hash. You know, it was figuring it out and it was, it wasn't even trying to make dabbable hash or, you know, it was just, let's, let's make some hash. And then it was, let's try to make full melt bubble. And that became the thing. Right. Um, so that kind of evolved, um, you know, but I was, I was making hash before I was making seeds, you know, wow. cause I was growing. Mm -hmm. You know, but again, it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't at the level or with the intensity or intention that it became. Um, my cousin Kelly built out my first hash room in my garage. It was like 2008. Oh, wow. Very 2008, early. 2009. Yep. Um, 
you know, framed in the deal and I had freezers in there and I was freezing stuff and microplaning things and, um, you know, trying to do that whole deal. And my buddy Goat, shout out Goat Organics, uh, blessed me with the knowledge about the cool bot at some point. So that kind of upped our, our game in the cold room, being able to do things and um, sharing genetics, finding, you know, because at a certain point there, there wasn't rosining anything, right? So you had to make six star to take a dab, you know? Um, and so we were trying to figure that out. And that was the driver. Like when somebody put up their first flag on, on you know, on a thing, like, holy shit, right? You can see right through that. I want to make that. And it took me a lot of time, a lot of, you know, heartache to figure out how to do that. Um, and it was, you know, small amount of people that were able to do it. And I was just lucky enough to be in there with them. And the hash culture was is just a little different. The Pe process. Pe people are a little more open, I think, and um, in some circles and sharing things because we wanted to have hash everywhere. And it was just fucking nowhere. <laughs> You know what I mean? It wasn't like there's weed everywhere and I need my proprietary thing. So you can't have my cut. It wasn't that it was, there was no fucking hash anywhere. Let's share it around so that when I show up in your town, I can get some, <laughs> you know? Um, and now it's, it's taken a life of its own. It's, it's exploding. I mean, like crazy big, right? Like it's, it's nuts. All the BHO guys have committed Harry Carey and they're out of the scene, you know? <laughs> and it's, um, and it's, it's time to go for solventless. Yeah. I mean, everybody's converting that I know. And what do you think with rosin versus full melt? What are your feelings on I, that? I don't think there is a versus. They're, oh. they're, they're two different things. Love it. They're 100% two different things. Um, I love full melt. I would prefer full melt every time. It's, it's, um, it's a more, and I would say this to people before about BHO. Like BHO, it's like mm, spiky high, give you the sweats, and then you're right back down like a crash. In hash, I would explain, it's a more full-bodied experience. It lasts longer. It's a gentle rise, a big hug. And then, you you know, um, so I, I like that about full melt. And I think that full melt compared to rosin is the same kind of deal. Um, it's just, it's just, a, it's a more, you know, and, and it's, it's the highest grade. It's the highest expression of the plant. You know, it's less processed, but there's a lot more ritual to it. There's a lot more care in taking care of it and keeping it, you know, good. It will last in your freezer a lot longer. So storage wise, it's a better way to store your hash. So that's the advantage. And there's more ritual to it, which I like. Rosin, on the other hand, um, shorter shelf life. Um, but it is a far superior product to bring to market. It's easier for the end consumer to use, to transport. You know, it's just, it's accessible. Um, it's not as hard to make. You know, so it, it is, it's a far superior product in, in that right. Um, but you know, if I, if you give me the choice, I'm going to, I'm going to take the flag every time. Yeah. You know, and just to clear, you know, clear one thing up here, it's small nuances and terminologies. Okay. Um, <laughs> melts is hash six star that's melts. Okay. Rosin is not called melts. We know rosin melts. Duh, it's rosin. That's why you rosined it because your six star wasn't six star. It didn't melt all the way or whatever it was. Okay. So melts is that's hash. Right. And, and you know, what makes six star and who came up with that whole system? You know, the Reverend cannabis gets credit for that. He's actually up in Washington, uh, out on Vashon Island. Um, and six star is, is it's a lot of people call their stuff. That's a six star. It's full melt, but it's, that's like, that's probably five star, you know, like to get the six star there, there's no specs in it. 
Um, it's super clean. It's going to melt like water, leave little to no residual at all. You know, it should be like you, you dab some rosin, you know, and it's got to have fantastic flavor too. If, if it does, if it melts like water, but it tastes like ass, it's not six star, you know, like that. We saved that denotation for the highest grade, you know? Um, and I really don't want to make five star because I tried to make and sell five and six and nobody wants five star. They want the six star or they want rosin. And, and that's what it's good you know, for. Rosin killed yeah. one through five in stars. <laughs> right. One and two are never even in a Nebraska no melts going nowhere. You know what I mean? But um, so I, I, they're just different products. They got to be handled differently. They have to be consumed differently. And the effects are a little bit different too. Definitely. Uh, you want to watch a hash maker cry uh, rosin some six star. And you can see a teardrop. I've, I've, I've heard about it. We call it blasphemy. <laughs> like, why are you doing that? It's unnecessary. You're taking a step back. If you did all that work to go that far, and don't get me wrong, rosin from Stick Star is delicious. It's the best rosin that there is. But why did you do that? Yes. That was, this wasn't necessary, you know? And, and, and I'll say this too. People kind of give what we call what we're the terminology is a little mixed up again, but what we're calling full spectrum, right? We're not, I'm not putting the 25, the spider mite dicks in the, in the hash. I'm not pressing that's going somewhere else. Okay? Or the 40 you or anything in that right, range. But, but yeah. if you've got, if you've got a, I've, I've separated them out and the terps can change. You know, you might have one smell in the 120 bag and a different smell in the 70 bag, but when you put them together, then you get that, that full synergy that the plant made, you know? So there's something to be said for that, you know? Um, I, I, you know, I, I like to squish the one twenties up to the, you know, the higher stuff. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with squishing 45 you, if it's high grade, you know, if it's like, if it's junk, then don't do that. But, you know, different plants are going to produce different quality resins at different scales, different, you know what I mean? The different use. Um, so, you know, don't be so judgy about it. Like it's every plant's different. There's not like a hard and fast rule really with a lot of stuff. You know, it's not, this isn't dogmatic. It's, it's, it's cannabis. It's know? a plant uh, and the end all be all is there's so many factors, your crop, the nutrients you run, the environment, uh, the hash making every time is going to be a little bit different because the tech's changing. I mean, there's just, it's way more nuanced, just like anything. I saw you have, is that stay fly? Yes. Original Dankster, huge shout out. Yeah. I've been a fan Dankster. of his for a long time. <laughs> Uh, OG guy, man. Uh, one of my favorite cannabis couples. Yeah. I, 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 I love I look him and his that. family and his little yeah. baby, like doing it right. You know, like super inspirational. And, um, you know, I was honored he did the, the crosses and let me help to distribute some of the seeds. I got some of the stuff left, not a lot. Hit me up um, and, and we'll get it out to you. But if you've ever seen his garden, you know, polyculture. So you're looking in the garden and you're seeing comfrey and amaranth and and sunflowers and ganja and life you know and it's got an energy to it chickens running around it's it's what you would want that's the, the in my opinion that's the goal for most growers is like that type of life yeah, some people can't get there or it's hard to find your way there but like some of my accounts like that I, that i follow yours it's cool to see a cannabis family doing what they are the most passionate about and he's one of them What's this cross, cherry cough drops? I think there's a lot more people doing this and waking up to it. And um, I'm finding more people seeking organics and, and natural farming and, um, you know, 
following along and wanting to wanting to play in this way. And to me, that's uh, that's awesome. That's a good mindset. That's better than chasing this. Like, let's just get rich and buy iced out jewelry and like like what are you guys really chasing? Like, let's chase back the other way. Um, you can't take it with you. No, you cannot. Uh, so cherry cough drops the Royal Cherry Kush times a coffee F five. Um, we actually were using this one as the freebie. So you buy a pack. You get this one as the freebie. Wow. Um, I try to do that with all the packs and the guys, you know, they, they make the good seeds and say, hey, yeah, this is the one. Um, and I always like to give the freebie away as the best one in the breeding. So if I bred 10 different things and, you know, this particular cross was the best one, that's the freebie. And you can buy the other ones. That way, they're, they're always, no matter what they buy, they're going to get that one too. Um, I love that. Yeah, this, if you've seen the pictures of this cherry cough drops, it's absolutely bonkers. Um, and he made, I want to say he made like 10 different crosses. Some of them are sold out, but I've got a couple of them. Um, hit me up and, and, and let's, let's, let's help get rid of the rest of them because they need to be getting wet and, and into the garden. But yeah, all his gear, super great, great for hash making, um, beautiful flowers. And it, you know, you can grow it outdoors and it's not going to go to shit on you. Oh, you can see, I mean, literally follow him and follow their journey and you can see exactly what they're up to. And then I see you got Cha, Cha Humboldt. Yeah, yeah. I love how you collab. Yeah, yeah. I, I love this. Russ is an, an excellent teacher, like a really like brilliant mind. He's growing and growing food and, um, you know, on his feed, he's dropping all kinds of really dope information. Um, and, you know, I, I'd like to work with those kind of people. You know, and I called my buddy Itall Foundation. I'm like, hey, you know the Cha guy? Oh, yeah, I like that, brother. All right, cool. He's in, you know. Um, and, and I just, I just think that's, that's a way to grow and build things and, and make these networks. Um, so can we go through some of these now? Dude, let's, let's, let's please. Let's I'm about so, to take some dabs. I, I need a dab too. Dude. Let's um, go. I got you. I, just, <laughs> I might have you stuck, Lance. <laughs> oh, dude. You've already done that and you weren't even present the last time. So, <laughs> so this one is from Moongazer Farms. Uh, this one's called the Affogato. Um, and this is a raspberry cream cake, which comes from, are you familiar with uh, Kirk Kush? Yes. All right. So the Garden of Greece, that's one of his creations. The Raz Cream Cake. You see how we all playing with each Dragonfly other? Dragonfly Earth Medicine put me on to him. Yeah. You see how we're all playing with each other? Yeah. This is how you're supposed to do it. Find the people you're in community with, build with, create better genetics, and like it grows from there. So this is a really dope one. Our little boxes, we get the stamp on them and the, you know, the wax seal is really cool. So this is a great hasher. We've got some of these available. That's from Moongazer Farms. Um, I don't know if you follow Moongazer Farms. If not, please do. Uh, it's another another couple that is absolutely beautiful, and they've got incredibly beautiful little children. And he's rocking like I think he's got twenty acres or so um, in Humboldt, and you know natural farming, dem pure, um, you know doing hard to go work, work with intention. Uh, we got a huge. He's got a huge field full of coffee F eights. I mean a whole field of it up there. So um, if you're interested in that, you're in California, uh, hit me up. We can, we can work something out. It's crazy. Cause you're like F eight, F five. People have no clue how deep that's, you know, you're talking years, multiple, multiple years of work. If you're doing it right. If you're, if you're, if you're actually growing the plants out and doing selections and looking at things. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's easy to say F five people, you know, to brush past it. It's uh, people want to look that up. It's, it's, a lot of work it's a lifetime of work what you're talking about with some of these people yeah, it's about filial generations so basically you you've made your f1 and then you're breeding f2 f3 f4 and basically what you're doing is you're selecting boys and girls sisters brothers and sisters breeding them to themselves 
And um, as I was explaining to the class today, you know, you can you can close down that breeding, narrow the breeding by using, you know, I selected one and one, or you can open up that selection by saying I took the three best females and the two boys that I like and doing an open pollination. Um, so there's all kinds of real nuanced stuff to it. And it takes months and months. You know, when you make a breeding, right, you put the two plants in there, you're looking at, you know, maybe three months, and then you got to harvest the seeds, run them, test those. That's another three months. You know, you're six months into a single cross if you're if you're testing and doing selections and all that kind at of least. stuff. At so, least. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking F6, F8, you, you are, you're talking about years or decades that, that you know, Depending upon how fast they're working the line, depending upon how dedicated they are to that line and not usually you have to take what reserve 20% of your garden to testing where the, wow, that's gassy. Uh, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> I'm like trying to talk through it. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of dedication to say anything over 20% of my garden is going to go towards a dice roll, mm -hmm. bit, right? Mm -hmm or working a line that you'll be rewarded in three, four years from now with it, that's passion. Keep going. Sorry. And, and, and it's vision. It's, it's understanding that it's not short game. When I did my first breeding, my mentor told me, um, you're not going to be able to see, you know, you, if you crop it as flowers, you sell it tomorrow for X amount. But if you seed this crop, it's going to take you five years to sell it, to start your seed company. It'll take you five years to sell all these seeds. Um, but you'll double your money took me longer you know what i mean but uh it, it also established something so you you have to be in it for the long game i'm not going anywhere this is all i know you know what's interesting about seeds that i think is tapping in you created something that will live on forever coffee will live on past you and so uh, that's <laughs> the part that really gets me when i think about breeding is leaving a legacy even if you didn't mean to do that right it's just part of it but uh, your kids' kids will be like, oh, that's my dad, my uncle, my my great-grandfather was responsible for that. Wow, that's wild. I, I really honestly never meditated that deep on it. Um, and I think about handing it off to my kids and hoping they have an interest in it. It's done. It's, it's out there. That's your legacy. It's already in stone. And it's something that will continue no matter if you have anything to do from here on out or not. Man, it's I, going. I appreciate you giving me that perspective on it because, you know, from where I sit, I just... I just don't see it like that, you know, not that it isn't, Yeah, you know, for, for many people that, that, that is, that's the, the real truth. But, you know, my mind just doesn't grasp onto that quite the same way. So um, I'm oh, going to think about now. that more, you know, a hundred years from now, there's going to be strains out there that their great, great grandfathers or, you know, grandmothers are coffee or are other creations of yours that will, that's just part of it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to, to, really to be cool. a part of. Yeah. It's the ultimate cycle, in my opinion, of giving back like you're talking. You're like, here, let me do something different. And let me just leave this right here between these years and watch it just grow just like a plant. Yeah. And, and I don't think it would have done that. You know, like I said, I couldn't have predicted that it was going to be such a strong grower in all these different regions. It grows Hawaii, Alaska. It grows everywhere. I, I couldn't have known that, you know. And, and I, that and hash. I, yeah. And the, you know, I, I just think maybe it's, um, it's my reward for doing things right. You know, the universe is watching me walk in a certain way and, um, universe can pick winners too. The universe is intelligent. It's got brains beyond what we're thinking, you know? So, um, maybe that's, maybe that's my reward from the unseen world. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Give thanks. What, uh, does your wife smoke these days? Oh yeah. yeah what yeah. does she enjoy flowers or is she more hash? 
she likes it both. Yeah. You know, it's funny. She, uh, I always like to do dad dabs. You know, I like to put, <laughs> put my piatella on top of a bowl. And, and she's always, she would rather just have the herbs um, in, in the bowl because or in the joint because she's like, oh, you're going to get me too stoned. Um, initially, when I was getting into dabbing, she did not dab. It was too much for her. And then, you know, once I really like turned her on to the good hash, I wish I hadn't because she was smoking all my good <laughs> shit and I'd hide it, you know, and like, oh, she doesn't know which one's good. And then I yeah. come in like, oh, shit, she figured it out. She's <laughs> like, this <laughs> isn't the six star. <laughs> Where's the six star? Oh, yeah, 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 no ninja yeah. dabbing her at all. Um, but yeah, medicinally, though, like sativa flowers, I try to keep some around. Um, I find it's, you know, anything with the blueberry terp in it, it's uh, it's really medicinal for her. I love sativa. Sativa is such an important, a heavy sativa is mind expanding. Uh, a lot of people like indicas, but I, I think there's purpose between everything, right? It's like, I don't smoke the same stuff in the morning as I do at night. No, I love the variety. I hate the like, if you had one thing to smoke, I hate that one, bro. I don't want one thing. I want it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Variety is the spice of life. So variety on this yes. one, this is, this is Happy Chillmore from Green Source Gardens. Happy Chillmore, which is the coffee F6 times the Cherry Lotus F3. Happy and you're right. You're not finding other breeders that have F this to F that. Like, um, That's also really kind of a cool thing with the Dem Pure Farmers is they've all been doing that kind of line work because they get it. They're not out here trying to be a flash in the pan. They're not trying to create seeds. They're breeding. you know. And, and it's like I said, it's okay just to make seeds. But these guys are doing something different, and this is what results. This is... Um, Leaving a legacy, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And this Happy Chillmore is like massive producer for outdoors. Uh, resilient, great terps. Um, coffee lime dog. So you guys have heard of the key lime from Mean Gene, yeah. right? Okay. And the black dog from BioVortex. Those two combine. And then with the coffee F6, that's the cherry lime dog. Dude. You know, like, I mean, come on. This is, this is like next level stuff. It's a three-way OG collab. You that, know what I you mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like OGs in the market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then this is kind of one of their most popular ones. Um, I get people hitting me up all around the world for this one. Um, it's not my favorite in terms of terps, um, but it is the most pretty flower on the planet, bar none. It's called Pinkleberry. They bred it out to Pinkleberry F7. I believe it's got um, like some Afgu and some um, Raspberry Kush genetics in there. Uh, it's super fast. It finishes. It's it's a hard plant to grow, right? A little more finicky. The seeds are a little resilient or a little harder to pop, but it it makes these really, have you seen the pictures with the pink pistols? Oh, the I Pink love flowers. That. Yeah. Like it is the most beautiful. If you're a florist growing ganja and selling ganja bouquets, that might be a cool idea. This is the one you want. So, um, and then on this one, we actually give 20 seeds because it is harder to pop. You know, most of them have like 11 seeds in them, but this one, we, we gave people more seeds. Um, people so need to understand too, usually uh, the the harder plants like, like a Skittles and things like that, they don't produce a lot of seeds, just like they don't produce a lot of weed. Like the finicky stuff is finicky for a reason. It's usually the hardest to grow, but very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, that just has to do with genetics and there's yep. different little epigenetic things in there and markers that, you know, different plants are going to do different things. Um this one here is super popular. This is also from Moongazer Farms. We call this one the watermelon coffee. This is watermelon sour times coffee F5. Um, and and they're, they're harvesting some of this stuff now. So you can jump on their page and you can see pictures of the stuff. 
if you can't see pictures of the stuff from your breeder, it's not a breeder. He's doing something else. Okay. Ooh. You, you should be able to show me a picture of what you made, you know, just, or you're, you know, that's just, that's just what it is. That's, that's kind of my standard. Um, and then this one here is, um, the coffee F7. So I did, I was breeding BXs and in an attempt to create like a better male population for people to go breed with. Like that was my, my idea in doing the BX. So BXing is your, you take your original one, you outcross it and then you back cross it to the mom. So okay. I took my coffee F1, I outcrossed it. Um, can't remember what I outcrossed it to right now, but I outcrossed it. Then I took those seeds, find a male, cross it back to mama. Take those seeds, find a male, cross it back to mama. Take Seven those times. seeds, find a male, cross it back. No, this is BXing. I only BX it four times to what is it called cubed. Okay, so I cubed it. Um, when my dad was doing the chickens, right, the game fowl, um, he would do that with the game fowl and you breed it back seven times. And then basically that, that rooster is going to be like the original. So um, with cannabis, like four generations in the BX and, um, and you're, you're kind of at that stage where you're going to get uniformity and it's going to be a lot like mama. And then the boys are going to be a lot like mama, right? So you set up the genetics inside the boy to be more like mom. Oh, very interesting. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Because I can't make mom breed something unless I reverse her, which I'm really not into that. Um, You're not a big uh, colloidal silver, silver <laughs> No, nitrate. and it, it's got its place, you know? Um, it's totally got its place, mm -hmm. and, and it's a good way to find out, you know, selfing something before you BX it is a good way to find out if it's worth going through the process of BXing, because um, it will kind of reveal itself. Um, Tom Hill taught me that trick. Wow, that's very interesting. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you're opening up, you're getting to see what's in there, you know, and if there's a whole bunch of hermaphrodite traits or junk, you know, like I just popped a bunch of them and they all smelled terrible, don't, don't, don't go down that route. You pop them and you're like, wow, there's some really cool stuff in here and it's semi-stable or pretty stable. Um, let's go ahead and, and run a BX on it. And, and it's like putting your foot in the pool. Yeah. You're like, uh, okay, yeah, it's, let's jump the way in. Tom Hill explained it to me was um, when you're going to go BX, right? First you have to outcross. So that is adding hay to the haystack. You're trying to find that needle in the haystack. You just added a whole bunch of hay when you outcrossed it. Now you got to take all the time to back cross it to get to that spot. You had to find out and you could get there and it's a dead end, right? When you're, even when you're doing filial generations, if you narrow it down, it can come to a dead end that you didn't want. And then you got to go backwards and restart and pick a different choice. It's like choose your own adventure book. It's, you know, like this stuff is, you know, there's, there's a lot to it. There is, it, this is built from passion. When you go this route, that is built from purely passion because it's easy to talk about it. Uh, any grower that knows you're talking years of work. A lot of times you're not getting paid off a lot of that. Or if you are, you're able to sell some of these seeds, but it's not the same as if you just took the hype stuff and brought it right to coffee and then sold all that off. Yeah, I don't do that. And I like that because I like the thought process of, I have to give something back. I can't just take. And that's why you're leaving a legacy. And that's why you have some of the collabs with breeders that are highly, highly sought after. I mean, Stay Fly, Cha, two guys that are stable in, in my C collection for sure. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you look for in a male? Um, it it kind of depends on what I'm trying to do. Um, but generally like if I've got a, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that I'm running, right. Um, you know, like so outdoor season comes, I pop a shit ton of seeds. Uh, maybe if I've popped a bunch of strains, one strain, you know, like coffee, I'm going to pick a coffee male to go against everything this year. And I've got, you know, however many coffees, 
Um, the first, what I do is my trick is I grow them in a one gallon pot and I let them get root bound without flipping your flower cycle. You're not going to know where the boys or girls are. Okay. Unless you do this trick. So if I've got a hundred coffee seeds, half of them should be boys, half should be girls. Okay. I let them get root bound in a one gallon pot. Once they start to get root bound, the boys start to show themselves. Okay. The first couple boys, they're getting whacked. All right. Um, I want to get a little deeper into that. I don't, I don't want the, the boys that are like, yeah, I'm a dude. I'm a dude. I'm a dude. You know what I mean? That's a little bit too manly for me. Right. When I'm picking my breeding stuff generally, and again, it's kind of what you're trying to do. A lot of dudes are just breeding names to names. When I made the coffee, I'm thinking Afghan in here, Afghan in here, find a recessive, right? There's, what are you trying to build? You know, so I might make a selection off of different things, but just in general, first boys to show, I'm calling them because generally the, the, the female that I'm breeding to, I want her traits to pass on. So the alien kush that I bred with, um, it would add frost, shorten flowering time, put a little purple on it, but it let all the female terps come through on, you know, eight out of 10. And then the other two would be kind of muted or whatever. So you got to find that out. And, and here's the deal. You can stem rub, you can look at the leaf structure to try to copy things. You can do all of that shit, right? A better way to do it is, you know, breed it back so you know the genetics are in it. But end of the day, you have to pop the seeds. You have to check the progeny and see what it did. Or you're not going to know what that boy is capable of, what it's doing. You know, did it just make a whole bunch of hermaphrodite seeds for you? Um, you know, did it, did it throw something that's got weird structure now? You know, and if you're not looking at that and, and checking, you just really have no idea. And for me, making seeds, that was the best part. I don't want to skip that part. I want to see what happened when I did that. I'm not just, I'm going to mix, you know, Sprite and Pepsi and here you go. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to sip it first. I want to know what that tastes like. I want to know what it did. And if I don't grow it out myself, then I don't get any information. You know, and some breeders keep boys and keep pollen and stuff. And I think that's awesome and a good idea. I don't do that either. I'm always just kind of moving. And, you know, when you're breeding BXs, you're always picking a new boy from the new seed progeny and pulling them back. You know, and, and in that stuff, I'm looking for physical characteristics. Coffee kind of has this unique shape to the leaf. So I'm, I'm looking for that thing to get passed through. And, and you can know, you know, whether some traits are going to be passed on. You know, like this morphology is tied to this trait. You know, morphology is what the plant looks like. You know, it's like when people talk about indica or sativa. What are we talking about here? Is it like, did this come from India or from the Ecuador? Are we talking about morphology? Right? Because I run that blueberry. It's a pre-99 DJ short blueberry. Sativa dominant. It's short and squat, but it's got thin leaves, right? Um, and it looks like sativa, but you know, blueberries, indica, it's, there's, there's different stuff. You're talking about morphology, you're talking about origins, you talk, you know, and then they, they affects of, you know, this is indica feels this way, or it, it's just like, you're it's, talking about the yeah. same thing, but in three different contexts, it can mean any of that stuff. And unless you clarify it, then you're just kind of lost in the, in the sauce of the lingo. They've even said that you can take, uh, you know, like alpine grown or high altitude grown cannabis, let's say a heavy sativa, bring it down to the equator or a lower part, and it'll start to take on other characteristics. It will actually change. Listen, I give, if I give you a cut and I give our man over here a cut and I send a cut over there and, and we all come back in the same room, it ain't all going to look the same. It ain't even all going to smell the same. Even if we run the same regimen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
there's just too much stuff that go. There's too many variables. You could grow that crop over and over again, and guess what? It's not going to be the same, right? This batch is better. Oh, I fucked this one up. It's not the same. You know, there's just too many variables. This is not manufacturing. This is agriculture, you know, and celebrate that it's a little different this time than the next time or whatever. You it's know? like when they say like that year of champagne is the best year they've had, right? Like the, the 2008, that's the one you want. And you used to be like, huh? But it's like, yeah, yeah, because it's a plant. And that was probably the best growing environment. Something about that year. The dude that had it and was putting it out was cranking it. And he was <laughs> dialed in. And his yeah. girlfriend and him were getting along. <laughs> and two years later, she stole all his shit and you can't get it no more. He's sad now and the weed sucks. I mean, like, you know, Ain't things happen. Life happens, bro. Yes. You know, and it's gone now. Yeah. Oh, that's how we've lost some of the best strains in the history, I think, is just through the, the oppression of the plant and life. People are like, yeah, I had it, but then I had to move. And then this spot got busted. And that was the end of that. That's why it's good to have friends and share. I'm not going to lie. I've sent some stuff out to Hawaii and recalled it 10 years later. And I'm so thankful they kept it a hold of it. And um, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A good reason to not be greedy. Try to share it a little bit, you know. And I've, I've passed stuff out and I'm like, you still got that? Nope. Why? You don't have that? How do you not have that anymore? Well, things happen. Yes, they do. Some of the biggest regrets of my. Uh, cataloging strains was that whole thing of like hoarding them and not letting friends have them or close people have them because God forbid they let it out and then losing it and being like, what was the point of that? Lesson learned. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you had some advice uh, for cultivators, hash makers, anything like that, what would it be right now? Oh man, that's kind of- Because you've been through a lot. Yeah. You've seen big business. You've been through, you've seen multiple markets. You've grown up. I mean- you have a family that's also kind of come up through the industry. Um, just any advice you'd have, let's say grower specific or non-grower specific. You know, don't, don't be in a rush. You know, I, I found myself in a rush at times to, I got to get in this game. I got to get a spot. This or the other thing. Don't, don't be in a rush. Trust that, that you're going to be okay. You know, and um, if you're doing something that, that's working for you, don't be quick to jump on something else. Like if something's taking care of you, take care of it. And stay there like that's that's totally okay um i think a lot of times we we try reach for more and um it's not a good time to and then we end up in a worse position uh, in terms of growing you know do what do what your heart tells you you know follow your heart i think i, I see a lot of growers again you know the grow organic regenerative farming like these were it was not even a term people used regenerative like now we're it's a buzzword, um, but it's cool. And I think that people are attracted to it for a reason. It resonates with them for a reason. And um, I think, you know, just follow that. If that's where your heart's at, follow it, you know, and, and trust that you're going to be okay down that path, you know, and don't be, don't be scared to do, do experiment in small things. If you're going to experiment, you know, um, especially for hash guys, uh, don't get your garden and um, pop a thousand seeds and find the feet like, yo, Put something in there that you know is going to hash and make some money and get a cushion. Get, get, get to a spot where you can afford to take a loss or take a risk. You know, um, to me, I've always been really good at that, about taking care of my business so that I wasn't desperate. So that if, if I had a crop and it sucked, I could do something else with it. I didn't have to push it out or, you know what I mean? Like, that's just not a good scenario. And people make 
make moves and desperate situations and just you don't don't put yourself in that you know don't put yourself in a situation where man mm, the seeds popped you know or or you know it's just none of it turned out you know do do your experimenting in small things and then scale up take your time with it don't be in a rush you know you got all the time and and i'm telling you i'm enjoying the journey i'm enjoying every step of it i'm trying to not i don't want to be on the top of the mountain because once i'm up there i got to come down <laughs> you know, so I'm okay with the trajectory. I've seen other people's trajectory, you know, whoa, there he goes, you know, and it's like the temptation is I need to, I want to do, and don't do that. Don't do that. Follow your own trajectory, you know, and understand your trajectory. Think about it. And I try to think about that when I come into contact with people that I'm going to work with or collab with. Is this guy's trajectory coming down? Because if his is coming down and mine is going up, he's going to crash my ship. You know, is this guy star rising with mine? Can we do something together? Can we help each other? Um, you know, that's kind of a better relationship, you know. Um, but when you start to intertwine your trajectory with others in business partnerships and they don't have the same karma as you, you can fuck yourself up. So, um, you know, keep that in mind. Work, work with people you know and, and uh, you'll be all right. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> what are you working on right now? I, what's what's been your uh what you've been focused on um so again this the last 18 months of my life um i've had some really crazy success but i've taken some some serious losses and went through some really traumatic stuff with losing my mom to cancer and um losing my bulldog and uh, just sold my house uh, and we moved because my mom passed, so we actually got to buy the estate, family estate from my brothers, which was, you know, it was a whole ordeal. Um, and the little farm that I had was like, you know, we had 18 inches of topsoil, and it's like hugel beds set up, right? Like, I don't even have to plant. It's just going. It's automatic. Um, and um, back on the family homestead, it's glacial till, and, you know, grandma had a little garden. So um, I've been really rebuilding gardens and, and building Hugo beds and just kind of reestablishing myself at the new spot. And uh, my buddy Kenny from Eagle Trees, shout out Kenny Eagle Trees up there, another Dempure farmer. He blessed me with a whole bunch of plants this year because I was late getting seed out. Um, so, you know, it's kind of been a year of transition for me and, and um, you know, kind of redefining my space and, and looking at what I'm doing like. It's, it's weird to be tremendously successful and have your whole stuff jumbled up again. And it's like, wait a minute, I, I did everything right. Like we were cruising. This was good, you know, um, but you can't predict that. You can't control it. You just got to learn to roll with the punches. And now it's like, for me, it's like, okay, I got a lot of work, but I'm thankful for the work. And I know that it's years worth of work to transform this farm into what I think it can be. And um, I'm going to enjoy the journey. And I'm going to enjoy the planting and um the reaping and i'm not going to become rushed by it you know because it's not a destination it's a journey i mean i'm in my i'm in my mid-40s and um i got little kids and we're back on the homestead so what am i in a rush for i'm in a good spot you know i i got still got good friends and uh you know rebuilding out there is going to be really special uh, my wife is talking about you know, inviting people out to the farm and teaching them things and having camps. And we've set up like a man spa. Uh, so I got like, I got my plunge pool and my sauna thing set up and uh, we've been logging trees. And my logger friend is like, we need to build an obstacle course. And I'm like, obstacle course. He's like, yes, you know, you, 
take a dab, you run down here, you throw an axe, 20 push-ups, you know, run to the next spot, climb a rope. Um, Sounds great. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're thinking all the cool things we can do to develop this property, you know, and um, maybe make, you know, some kind of center where people can come out and, um, you know, I don't have to come to LA to teach a hash class. You can come out and see how I do it on my farm. And, um, you know, so down the road, maybe, maybe you guys will be able to come visit my farm and I would love um, to, you know, see what we're doing out there with that. I really, as much as I have a passion for ganja, um, I have a huge passion for growing food and food sovereignty and what that means, especially for my children. Um, so I really get excited about, about farming and growing food. Uh, we've been putting in an orchard and berry rows and, you know, I collect the berries from my friends, you know, so I go over to Mr. Marty's house and I'm like, Mr. Marty, let me get some of those Logan, you know, and he digs up a Logan berry plant for me. So all the plants that are out there, um, are gifts or things that came from other people's farms, um, that I know. So there's a story to it. I didn't just go down to, you know, the local greenhouse Lowe's or whatever and buy a plant off the shelf. I, I want things to have a story. I like to have that connection. Um, it's meaningful and uh, it's cool to be able to share that, and pass that on with my kids. So that's really like what I'm most excited about doing um, on the farm and in that space. Um, cannabis wise, I'm doing collabs with select cannabis up in Washington. Um, I'm moving my, my rec operation to the Cush family farms down in ghost town, oh. uh, ghost OG, the original OG ghost. That's, you know, that's my homie, the original Cush family. That's the big OG. And, um, you know, he's made space for me there and, you know, shared ownership with me. And, um, you know, and I'm going to get to pour into that and do more work. And, uh, I was talking with Josh D today, you know, and we're going to build Oh, it's common. Roots needs to be in, in other States and in other places. And, um, I'm going to bring my knowledge and uh, my game to these spots and I'm going to help lift these folks up. They're going to help lift me up and um, watch out. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. If people didn't know you got dropped off by Josh D today. That's the circle of OGs you have around for your seeds. Uh, where can people get those? Um, so there's a couple seed banks out there. Neptune seed bank. Um, based Great down one. here. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's like the, the spot. Um, international too. Yeah. International too. Seeds here now carries a bunch of our gear. Shout out James Bean. Um, and I, I have, I, I trap out of my Instagram <laughs> or my, uh, my, my email. So yeah. the T H E N W four seven, the N W four seven at gmail.com. Um, hit me up. I'll send you a menu. I've got seed banks kind of all over the world that I've supplied. Um, attic three, six Oh, or sorry, addicts three, six, nine, um, out of Paris, France. He's got seeds. Um, the green affiliate in South Africa, um, they get drops. Um, there's some folks out in Thailand. It's a little more underground. So if you're out in Thailand and you want some seeds, um, or hash, um, hit me up. I can connect you with the people out there that are doing that work for me. Um, but yeah, the, if you want to get direct bang my line on the email, <laughs> I mean, with hash making being at an all time high, your seeds would be some of the ones I'm hunting down because all you see right now is breeders trying to lean into strains that make hash or hash well or hash at a high percentage with a high amount of terpenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's only, we can't even see where it's going to go. I'm hearing five percenters now. I'm hearing all this crazy stuff. It's just so interesting. Oh, we're hitting, we're hitting six, 7% with some of the stuff that we're breeding and playing with. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and our process is a little different, but 
you want those when you're when you're above five percent like you're 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 in the zone you know if you're getting three percent returns you're doing it for free and if you're anything below that you're losing your ass so you have to have something that that is going to perform that way um the real dope thing about the dem pure farmers is these guys are growing for you know we're talking about f generations these are growing for generations under the sun moon and stars okay so generations and they're only making selections of the plants that can really take it and thrive in these and the best of the best, right? So these seeds for people who are doing any kind of outdoor production, this is what you want, okay? There's a difference between a plant that is being bred indoors and a plant that is being bred outdoors. That's just, that's just the facts, okay? And indoor seeds are going to perform better indoor. Outdoor seeds are going to perform better outdoor. There's some crossover. It's not a hard, fast rule, but in general... These are the kind of things that you really want to be messing with, you know, if you're in that, in that kind of uh, arena. So I think, I think that's, that's kind of a crucial and vital thing that really separates these seed makers, you know, with that end product in mind, especially hash making, you know. It's, it's the wave right now. Yeah. And, and there's some other guys doing it really good. I'd, I'd yeah. shout out, um, you know, Archive Seed Bank, you know. OG, OG. Fletch is, is dope. And, um, you know. One of my favorite breeders. Damn it, Bobby time. up there washing the hash for him. You know, they're they're doing some really cool stuff, collecting data. And, um, you know, the real cannabis, Chris, he's doing breeding. Um, Schwale, farmhouse genetics. Uh, he does all the real cool macro photography. And he's like, he's like breeding based off of what it looks like under the microscope for the trichomes. Like, I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? I got a different program, but to me, like, that's really, that's really dope. I got some of his seeds at the smoking jacket. Um, so there's, there's people out there doing really crazy good work, you know? And then there's other guys that are just doing flower stuff, you know, and, and focusing on that, you know, the Piff Coast seeds guy, bro, his, some of his hash out in New York was like crazy good. Um, but you know, or his uh, flowers, but you know, for hash stuff, and especially if you're growing your plants outdoor, these are the dudes you want. This is the stuff you want to play with. Any other shout outs uh, you're, like, through, along your journey, people you want to shout out? Oh, man, there's so many. I know. I would feel bad naming one and, and, and not another. Um, I do want to ask you one more question. But I, I, I will, let me, let me give yeah, a shout yeah. out to, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing my, my hat from my Tulalip Indian brothers. And um, I, I got to shout out the Tulalip tribe and um, the Stahob people, as they call themselves. Um, I just, I got great reverence for those folks and they've kind of invited me into their, their, their sweats and shared a lot of their culture with me and helped me to grow as a human being, taught me how to pray a different way, how to walk a different way. And so whenever I do a show or I do, um, you know, they give me a chance to speak on the mic. I'm always really like conscious of that. And I always want to make sure that people are realizing like, you know, we're living on, on their land and um, it's always good to, to pay them homage, you know. Um, my logo is inspired by their artwork and, um, you know, I'm not trying to appropriate anybody's culture. I'm trying to shine a light on it and I do positive things with it. I don't abuse that, that privilege that has been granted me. So, um, you know, shout out those folks, <laughs> shout out the haters yeah. and give the haters a shout out. You're doing your job. Don't no. give them anything. Don't give them, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. I honestly, I feel like I really don't have a lot of haters. I, I try to spread good vibes and, you know, I, I do get, this is, you know, people are like, I don't like that guy. Why you talk to him? I don't like that guy. I don't talk to him. And, yeah, and of course. here's what I'll say about it. You don't know what I'm doing in that situation. Maybe I don't like him either, but maybe I love him. 
you know, and maybe I want to influence him. Maybe I think that he's got potential and I want to be a good friend to somebody. You know, I'm, I'm not the type of person that just wants to throw somebody in the bus, judge somebody and be done with them. You know, I'm like, yeah, but you know, maybe he just needs somebody to tell him that, you know, like I want to be a friend to people and, um, and I want people to be a friend to me. You know, I want them to, to give me their honest opinion. You know, don't, you got something to say, say it to me, you know, and say it in the right way. Don't come at me sideways. Um, and then, and then we're building a relationship, you know, and I don't, I don't have time in my life to have kind of negative relationships and all that other stuff. So if you see me with somebody that you don't like or whatever, like just understand I'm, I'm there for a reason. I'm probably trying to help uplift that person or give them a good word. Um, and, and maybe I'm trying to learn from them too. I think, uh, uh, live and die by thing for me is once I meet them, I've met so many amazing people and their persona on Instagram or how you interpret their persona on Instagram is so different from once you meet them and you can feel their energy, you get to connect with them, you get to look them in the eyes. Uh, it's, it's night and day and it, uh, it's everything in this industry because it's what we used to have to do. Yeah. Isn't it weird? We, we get to form this fully formed opinion of somebody you've never met based off what they post on a social media thing like what is that bro or clips yeah it's yeah. so weird bro there's so much depth to me like and even during this show like we're scratching the surface there's so much more yeah. to me I, you can't know all that you know it's the pg you, you don't version. know what what role i play in my family you know you don't know how my cousins think of me like and that to me that world is far more important than anything else you know so who am i that's who i am you know, who am I here? This is who I am, you know, but I try to carry the same torch. I try to walk it in the same way in the same, you know, same person in both elements, you know, um, you know, just try to walk in a good way. Yeah. I teach my kids the golden rule. It keeps it really, really simple instead of breaking down all the laws and it's just do the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, and it's not treat people the way they treat you, treat them the way you want to be treated. You know, if somebody's that. having a bad day. You don't need to react with some badness, you know, maybe say, Hey, I'm sorry. You're having a rough day. And I've done like that more that often than not. And it just disarms people. You know, it doesn't hurt to apologize to somebody, even if you're not wrong. You know, maybe you've, you've offended them in some way. And it's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Instead of being like, well, what do you mean? You're mad at me. Like, just, I'm sorry. It's disarming. And then you can get right back to having a good vibration with somebody again. Kelly and Josh were talking about that, right? I didn't get that guy. It was a weird vibe, you know, like that happens, but I'm, I'm trying to be the alchemist in a lot of situations, you know, because this, the only moments that ever exist is now. So whatever moment I'm in, I'm trying to be an alchemist in that moment. You know, and I try to think when, when people come to me that I haven't met, I, I think of Jesus. It's kind of, kind of odd, but I think of Jesus. I think about the people that came to him and that became his disciples. And, um, and I'm Jesus and I have disciples, but just when, when people come to you, there's a reason, you know, maybe they, they need you, they need your blessing. Maybe they're bringing you a blessing. And some people come with bad intents or whatever, but you know, I think a lot of times it's, it's the other way around and um, understanding that I've, it's just opened up all kinds of doors for me, you know, and I get to inspire people and people get to inspire me and uh, I need inspiration too. And that's really cool to be, have that kind of exchange with folks. What do you think about, What's going on in Hawaii or what went on? Because you have ties back there. What are your thoughts on that whole situation? That was the last thing I did want to ask you about because you're one of the only people I know that has real ties. You, you're talking about the fires? The fires and just everything like, uh, and just how to rebuild now. You know, it's, it's a terrible situation. 
I think um, the government response was um, negligent before the fact, and I think after the fact, um, it's just foolish. I don't know how some of these people get elected. I mean, really, like, I wouldn't let these fuckers babysit my kids. Like, let's let's do that. Let's let, let's have that be the first test. Look at the fucker running for office. Will you let him babysit your kids? If the answer is no, fuck out of here. Okay. Sorry, I get a little passionate, but oh. you know, so so in Hawaii, there's 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 people hurting and they're trying to deal with it, you know. And you got these so-called leaders coming over the top of them, you know, like just just stop, okay? If we could stop the whole fucking world over this COVID thing, you guys can stop what you're doing there for a minute, right? Let's catch our breath. Let them catch their breath, you know. Um, and you can see the people taking care of each other. So government, get the fuck out of the way. The, 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 the families there know how to take care of each other. This is how they survive, you know? Um, in terms of rebuilding, you know, and talking with my wife, you know, because I don't, my opinion is my opinion, but my, and when it comes to that stuff, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support her, um, of course. But, you know, like, you know, we talked a little bit, like wouldn't it be neat if, if they rebuilt it in a traditional fashion? You know, I don't know if you guys know this, but 90% of Hawaii's food supply is shipped in. That's crazy. That's madness. Now, I understand a lot of that is to support the tourist industry. Um, but the people there, in my opinion, like the first thing you're going to do in a war, you have to have food sovereignty, you know. Um, so rebuilding with that kind of future in mind, which is I think that's what the people there want. You know, I really do. Um, let's let's give them that opportunity, you know, but um, like making drastic change and and talking about you know, the state acquiring the land, like, come on, just, just be quiet. If you don't have something intelligence to say, just be quiet, you know? And, um, I, I don't know. It's just, it's sad that they got some poor leaders in there at a time of crisis, you know, um, some horrible events, you know, yeah. who, who can predict that? I've seen videos of the winds and stuff and it's just like, you know, that's horrible, you know, and, and, and you can't ever let that happen again. You know, so unless they take responsibility and accountability for some of those actions and, and the failures, um, you're susceptible, you know, and I don't think you need to, you know, feed anybody to the sharks, but those people need to be removed and, and competent people need to be in there. And um, I just pray for them. Yeah. I pray that they find their way. And um, the Kanakas I know. You know, they're, they're, they're a little bit hardcore. You know, they know their history. Most people don't know, like, Hawaii was its own kingdom. It still is in their minds. That's, Hawaii is their own kingdom. And they had a matriarch. They had a queen. And the queen was overthrown illegally by land barons with the help of government. And that's not right. And that's, that wasn't so long ago. And we can undo that wrong. You know, we can, you know, we can make that better. You know, the United States needs to really step back, get out of the picture. Um, I don't know that that's ever going to fully happen. You know, these are, <laughs> these are huge things that are beyond the power of, of one person or one vote to, to change. But I can tell you there's a groundswell of, of from Kanaka Ma'ole, from the Hawaiian people who are learning to Olelo and speak their Hawaiian language and they're going to Kamehameha schools and it's a consciousness rising and a righteousness rising where they want their power back and they're not asking. 
you know, and we saw this with Mauna Kea movement, right? People were, we're going to put another thing up there. Like, you guys don't understand you're, you're violating sacred land. And there's, it's not just like, oh, we call it sacred. Like there's, there's real ties to what that means and why it's there. And it, and it ties into the water supply and all kinds of things that are just like not even talked about. So you're talking about the telescope. Yeah. 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 So what you, you don't understand is like old days that was kapu to go up there. Nobody could go up there unless you were like a purified priest and they went up there to pray and they put these towers up there, right? Well, what do you think is below that tower? You're on an ocean, you're on an Island surrounded by ocean and your fresh water supply is in the aquifers and you're going to put something poison on top of it. That's going to leak down into the aquifers, right? It has the potential to destroy all life on the Island and you can't get that back. You know, they, they've got, they've got the, the shooting range up there where they're shooting depleted uranium rounds for target practice. That uranium is going to leak down into the water. Like you can't do these things to these people. That's that they don't want you to, they, their whole identity is tied to the land. I don't want to fuck up the saying, but it's like the life of the land is perpetuated in the righteousness of the people and tied to that. It's, it's like that Aina is their body. They love the Aina. They come from it. It's one. It's one. Everything, you know, in, in Western society and, and it's all, you know, it's a different kind of thing. Right. But over there, it's, it's, they have a different understanding and, um, they should have, they should have the space and the ability to, to manifest their own destiny. You know, how about that? And, and for me, I don't, I don't want McDonald's in Hawaii. <laughs> I want to go there and eat Lao Lao, you know, and, and America does this kind of everywhere. They just take over. Um, and, and I don't like that at all. I don't think that that's really honoring those other cultures. And, um, you know, the, the main system of government in Hawaii, we talk about this a little bit is it was called the Kapu system, right? So it was like, there wasn't a whole bunch of little laws. It was like, these are the main laws. If you break them, we're going to kill you. And if you can get past the warriors and get to the, the city of refuge, all the other oxen free, but then you're going to stay there, you know? And they had a system similar to um, the potlatch system of Native Americans, but it was called Ho'oponopono, right? So it's an oral tradition, their history. And um, so they would gather and they would tell their story collectively. That way the story stays the same. I don't get to run off and tell the story and re, you know, uncle can say, no, 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 it wasn't you. It was, that was so-and-so. So they, they keep that tradition, you know, um, and it was a tradition of sharing and each family had an ahupua'a system. So it was basically like, it's a mountain, right? And all the different clans or families, they had a slice, a pie shaped slice. So they had a little bit of the top, a little bit of the middle, a little bit of the bottom. They could build their lois, which are gardens, like hydroponic gardens, kind of where they're catching the rain and, and moving it through almost like rice paddies catching the water and growing and cultivating. Uh, but everybody kind of had a slice of that and all of that's kind of been cut up. Some of it still exists. Um, but those are better ways to live. Those are better, you know, like look out in the world today. This is, this is an illogical conclusion to come to. This is not, this is not right. This is an abomination. There's something wrong with the, the choices that we've made. And um, if we can go back or if we can go forward in a different way, it's another thing with Hawaiian culture, they would make a decision not based on how this is going to affect us today. How is this going to affect seven generations down the line? You know, how can you be that thoughtful? We don't do that now. We don't fucking do that at all. Um, so, you know, I, I just try, you know, with my family and stuff, that's where I can control. And so we try to push, direct our boat in that direction. We're not going to make it to that island in this life. 
my babies not even, but maybe their babies will. You know, so let's let's push our boat that way um, and and see where that takes us. And um, you know, that fills my spirit with a lot of of what I'm doing, trying to reconnect to the land, reconnecting with indigenous cultures and their ideas and their ways of of living and operating with each other and with the land. We have a lot to learn. You know, um, the future is ancient. Do you think breeding and and growing cannabis has taught you that, or were you like that way before that? that long thought process of years and years is where hopefully this reward is or this outcome that I'm hoping is comes. No, that was not even a thought in my mind. You know, that was something that my wife taught me, you know, this is how we do it. This is look at this, you know, and, and sharing. And, um, it's something, it was something foreign to me. I didn't know that. I really didn't. Um, you know, and my, I come from a big family. We're very tight. We keep things close and, um, you know, no family like mine I've ever met. Um, but even then they didn't have that, that kind of idea built into their culture. I mean, white people are very far removed from our tribal roots. Okay. We all have tribal roots. I, we're all indigenous to somewhere. Right. Okay. Think about that. You know, so we've, you know, Caucasians, I'm, I'm actually Swedish and German, but you know, lost our roots too. And here I am in the Pacific Northwest, married to a Hawaiian girl, you know, hundreds of years later, you know, so what is my consciousness? What am I to think of that? You know, should I defend colonialism? Should I, you know, just want to be a corporate swine because I'm a Haole? You know, like, no, that's not where my heart is. You know, I've got this consciousness. I got this gift, you know, maybe the herbs did it. Maybe it was sweating and praying. Maybe it was my wife teaching me. Ancestral. It's, 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 it's all these things, yeah. you know? Learning, learning to listen to your na'al, your guts, your stomach, you know? Like it's, we all have this ability. I'm not special like that. You know, I've just learned to tune into it. And I try to teach my kids to tune into it so they're more comfortable with it and they can be light workers too. You know, they can work behind the veil. Because um, I think we all have that in us. You know, it's just, we're trained to not trust it. You know, and uh, the foods that we eat stop us from being that. You know, when your stomach is disruptive and you've got no good nutrients, your body is, it's, it's in a different kind of mode. You know, it's all tied in. It really is. It's all connected. How you eat is going to be how you feel. You know, um, with the glyphosate they spray on everything, it kills the microbes, kills you eat it now it's killed the microbes in your stomach and you need those microbes to make the serotonin and dopamine to make you feel good i mean why do you think mental health is on issues are on the rise the stress combined with the poor diet you know um how do people that have mental health issues deal with that without pharmaceutical drugs they eat better food they exercise they get out to nature you know like the answer's right in front of us we're just we're just too fucked up or distracted to really just stop and see it you know so that's you know i really give thanks to the 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 community and the family that isn't my blood but that has taught me these things them pure family i can take that back and teach my family now and bring that culture into my family and um that's that's what we're supposed to be doing that's how you evolve mm -hmm. in the right direction right like this is part of our evolutionary step um, so that's, you know, that's what that is. I love that you added the positivity. It's been one of my favorite things 
about following you over the years has been your journey and just being able to watch it, right? And appreciate it. And uh, it's been enlightening and it's been a blessing that I get to sit down with you and have these conversations. If you're a hash maker, you need to check out Pacific Northwest Roots Kaya Seeds. It would be at the top of my list. If you're a hash smoker and you enjoy phenomenal six-star hash, I mean, top of the top, and I could say that 100% with my heart, this is the guy to pay attention to. I've smoked hash with the best hash makers. I've been blown away a few times. This was like galaxy blown away. And I, I tell this story to every time I get a chance to tell a story about hash, I'm like, you got, man, this one, I talk about it, bro. It was unbelievable. And so reach out to this guy. I'm sure with the new seminars coming up, that would be something I would have to attend if I'm a hash maker or even interested in getting into the craft. You get to learn from someone who's been through all of it, who's actually bred for hash makers, not just washed what's around these days and the honey, you know, what, what is just the most popular? It's a whole different aspect. It's a whole different process. Um, and it really is dedication. That's, that's kind of like every episode, I have a word that I feel in my heart. And I feel like your word is dedication. That's just what I feel because I've watched your journey. And it's been, it's been my pleasure to be able to sit down with you today, brother. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Big respect for all you do. And yeah, I, I, I appreciate you acknowledging, um, you know, the struggle that I go through and, and the way that I that I try to live it and, and do it. And um, yeah, give thanks. Give thanks to the Most High for, for the guidance, you know, and, and give thanks for trusting that guidance and, um, you know, having good intentions. People talk about like putting intention into stuff is super crucial. It's not it's not hippie stuff. It's like, it's, it's this real, real, real life. Like if you put your good intention into something and you're doing it for the right reasons, you know, you're going to get something out of it that's different. So um, put your heart into things, you know, do it wholeheartedly, do things that make you, make you feel good and that fill your cup so you can pour it into the next man's cup. And, um, and we keep going. First smoke of the day, Pacific <laughs> Northwest Roots Kaya. Uh, we appreciate you. Rastafari. <laughs>